I ain't a planner. I ain't a thinker. I never wanted to be. You got to set your motherfucker to receive. Listen to me. They don't go through the door. We don't ask why. That's not a cost. It's benefit. Because we get to travel light. Tell me where to go. Tell me what to do when I get there. What about that? You wanted to go through the looking glass. How was it? Was it more fun than miniature golf? Welcome to a brand new episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. This is the movie podcast where we go back and revisit all the movies that bombed at the box office or the critics didn't share any love and see if they deserve a second chance. Brad, episode 94. We're just, we're, we're cooking, man. We're, we're, we're almost to the century mark. We are. Uh, this was an even number. So it was my pick. And I thought, hey, we've had a lot of great emails come in with some suggestions so how about we do one of those? And somebody had wrote in and said, hey, guys, you should talk about 2004's Spartan, uh, written and directed by David Mamet. And uh, of course, when you're, when you're talking about somebody of that caliber, you got to bring the experts on, right? So we, we get to welcome back once again, one of our bestest buddies, Sammy from the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Sammy, how are you this evening? I'm good. How are you guys doing? I, I was going to prepare some type of ranger credo to come in. Oh, and, uh, forgot it. Unfortunately, one man, one man, one riot, one Sammy. <laughs> yes. Yes. Something like that. But no, it's great to be back. I was just here last week. I love being here every week. And uh, you guys just have to fight me off with a floss water. No, we love it. This, this should be a good week. Cause I don't know, given the actors or even the scenarios that we're talking about, I, I'm, I don't think there's going to be a lot of impersonations this week compared to all the Jean-Claude stuff we were doing last week. Yeah, I know. Yeah, probably not. I guess, I guess, I don't know if I got a good Derek Luke or not. (laughs) Do you you got a a good uh, Al Bundy for us? Uh, no, probably not an Al Bundy. I could probably do a little bit of a Val Kilmer. Maybe we might, might, I might whip that out. All right. Well, (laughs) what about your Val Kilmer? Okay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this is, I'm not going to say it's like PG rated, but I don't think we want to see the Val Kilmer <laughs> on screen. Uh, we're recording on a Sunday night and it's actually March 27th. The Oscars are going on right now. I'm just curious. Um, are, are Do you guys care about the Oscars anymore or, or had you cared about the Oscars at, at some point? And it, I, I don't know. I'm just, I don't know what your opinion is on, on the Oscars. I, I used to, pay attention quite a bit and i i will always go back and and look and watch all the best film nominees uh for the year um i haven't gotten through all of them right now but i i do always make it a point to see the 10 or whatever they have nominated um and just see what i think um you know, I'm I'm really rooting for Dune this year, and I know it's it's kind of got a lot of the technical stuff already, but to me, the show is just so vanilla now, and they they can't offend anybody, and it's this and that, and like Spider Man, you know, No Way Home was one of the biggest films of the year. It's probably not, you know, it, it just I I feel like they're so out of touch 
Um, and then you go back, we'll go back five years from now and we'll say like, why did that movie win? Like this was out <laughs> or, you know, is this a lot of stuff where revisionist history is never kind to the, to the Oscars. So um, yeah, I'm kind of just bored by it. Like I, I'd much rather look at all the winners when it's done and be like, Oh, okay. That's great. And move on. Okay. What about you, Sammy? I used to watch them a lot. I used to watch them very, very closely. And it was a big night for me. It really was. Um, I can't remember when I fell off. Uh, probably the year, I think, it was the year before 12 Years a Slave won. So I don't know what year that was, but it's been a little while now. Okay. And uh, I just, I haven't watched an Oscar broadcast since. Mostly because of kind of what Brad said. It's very vanilla. It's kind of, it feels like, it's a very forced broadcast. It feels very forced. Like we're trying to please everybody, but we don't want to offend anybody. And, uh, it just, you know, I don't need it to be offensive. Don't get me wrong. I don't want it to be like, you know, let's get Andrew Dice Clay on here or something. Or, you know, hey, Geeky! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. But, I mean, I'm just saying. it just She's a who? Hey, Geeky! Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> wow. You said there wouldn't give me the impression. No, yeah. I didn't I didn't expect an Andrew Dice Clay to sneak up on us. <laughs> Actually, that was, a, that was kind of a nice little Sunday surprise there. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know, I mean, it, it, it just, I don't know. I don't know if they... I guess the real question is, is, do they matter anymore? I guess they really do in some ways. I think that, I think when they, honestly, I think what backfired on them as much as we talk about the populist films, I think it actually backfired on them when they opened up the best picture category and started allowing the populist films in. Because to me now, best picture never really, I mean, I used to like it when it was five films. I know I sound like an old man yelling at clouds, but. It felt uh, way more exclusive then. Yeah, it felt way more exclusive then and uh, to me a bit more interesting. Now it just seems like, you know, they got to nominate whatever big movie was that year that everybody loved, quote unquote. And uh, that that feels like such a like a band-aid to the whole process because, you know, it's not going to win. Right. Yeah. Yep. And then this year they got this weird uh, voter or public interaction couple categories, like best moment. Yeah. And they're like moments from like movie history. It's very strange. It's like bullet time is like nominated for one of the categories and it's like are you are you that out of touch <laughs> i don't know just it's very it's 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 just a weird thing i, I want to love it because i love old school hollywood i love all the glamour and everything but i just don't really think it's that interesting although i did see there was a good woody harrelson joke on there just now he's been nominated he said he'd been nominated three times. he was presenting an award and he said he been nominated three times and this is the most he's ever spoke on this show because he was <laughs> which was pretty good pretty good so um yeah i just I, man I, I always thought i would watch it until the day i die because i love movies so much but i don't know it doesn't really i mean what i love yearly is close to what they nominate but not always okay i yeah i i don't know the year uh, when i kind of stopped watching but I think some of your comments nail it. It's just not interesting anymore. I think there was a time period when it was kind of exciting to see your favorite movie star outside of the movies and outside of a role. Yeah. But now with the internet and, and social media and everything else, I mean, you can't, uh, I mean, you're tripping over <laughs> pictures and interviews and everything of these stars. And so some of that glamor and some of that mystery is gone, right? That mm-hmm. it just doesn't exist anymore. And And I gotta be honest with you. I mean, I, I, I like, uh, social commentary in my films. I, I do like, you know, a good 
film that really asks questions. I, I like films that ask uh, questions versus make political statements or social statements because I think those are more interesting than just kind of drawing a line in the sand and going, well, this is this is the truth, and if you think anything but this, then you're wrong. I, I think those are kind of boring. And I feel like the Oscars with all of the changes and all the things that they try to do, because, you know, as an industry, they've been beaten up. You know, if you think about it last, let's say five years, they've been beaten up um, with all of the scandals and things that are wrong with that industry. And I think they've really tried to course correct that. And one of the things they did with the Oscars was, okay, you can't get nominated unless you have this checkbox of all these things. And, and really it does mark on, you know, sort of the, the political correctness, I'll call it list. And to me right there, you lost touch of what made maybe the Oscars good, which was it, it's all about celebrating the movies that tell the best stories versus it, it has all of these credentials. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you, I just don't think they have relevance anymore. Like if the Oscars went away and they, they didn't have it, I don't think anybody would care. I don't think the movie industry would change. Like we wouldn't see a different output of films. Um, you, you might see a change in the release schedule because you, you do see a lot of Oscar films uh, kind of get loaded to the end of the year and January and February. So it goes limited theatrical release, what in December and then yeah. full release in January. So that might change. Mm -hmm. But honestly, I don't, I don't think, I don't think the movies in general would change without the Oscars. In, in fact, it, it might actually be better. Yeah. I don't know if it'd be better, but I don't, I agree with you. I don't think it would change anything except the release dates. Yeah. And I, I, I do think it's, it's a little too little too late on this, uh, this inclusion thing. That's a very uh, catchy word right now. I understand what they're saying, but I think they're, I, I don't know. I think everything's so political now. I just don't get it. Anymore. It is. I, I saw an article today where Sean Penn was like, Hey, I'm going to melt my Oscar down if they don't give screen time to the president of Ukraine. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, dude, he's, he's like in the middle of a war. I don't think he gives a shit about the Oscars right now. So, um, and, and for you to kind of be that extremist and say, well, if I don't get my way for this, then I'm, I'm going to just throw this trophy or word out. I mean, my response to that is, you know, I kind of like you as an actor, but I really care less what you do with that award. I mean, you already won it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's like, yeah, who cares? Yeah. And and yeah. I don't even remember what he won it for. Sean Penn, uh, that'd be a uh, dead man walking. Maybe? No, it was, uh, I am Sam. Uh, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> it was, uh, the one where he played the lawyer, the, uh, gay guy. Uh, what was the name of that movie? Milk. Oh, uh, milk. yeah. Milk. milk. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Harvey milk. Yep. 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 Um, I mean, I do like award shows because I like I like when people say this is the best. This is the best editing. This is because you look back on it 25 years from now and you're like, oh, man, that guy won for best editor and he's still doing it. And, you know, kind of what we do now when we watch movies from the 70s and the 80s. Um, yeah, it does. I, I do like it does validate people, at least yeah. in some way. Yeah. And it gets them work. And, you know, Greg Frazier just won for Dune right before we started recording this. He shot Batman this year. He's an up-and-comer, and he's yeah. going to have a long and storied career. And this kind of validates that. Yeah, Hans However, Zimmer, you know, yeah. is another one where you're like, wow, Hans Zimmer, again. However, sometimes you do, and I think this is where I started to fade. I started to fade at some point when I started to feel like they were given the Best Actor and Best Actress Awards to people who 
didn't really deserve it for the performance they gave, but maybe for all the performance they gave before. Yes. The performance. Yes. yes. Yeah, I agree. Yes. Yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio riving, winning for uh, what was that movie? Uh, not relevant. What was it what called? Rev- the Revenant. 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 Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. not for Wolf of Wall Street is like, OK, we yeah. see what you're doing here. Yeah. Um, but again, there's people that were nominated that year. I forget who won best. Was it probably Daniel Day Lewis? for something and is like, of course, Daniel Day Lewis won that year or, you know, so someone's got to win and someone's got to lose and like Scorsese not winning for a long time and then getting it for the departed. Oh, that's a good example right there. Like that's the not departed. A- is that his best movie? No. Um, no. but you know, it is what it is. So yeah, yeah. that that, that kind of hurt it for me when it started doing that, that kind of hurt it for me. Yeah. I, I still like, at the end of the day, I just don't think it matters. I mean, if, yeah. if I think about the films that would make my top 10 of all time, uh, number one, uh, which in, in my head is a tie between Jackie Chan's Drunken Master 2 and Singing in the Rain. I think Singing in the Rain got a couple of Oscar nominations, but it didn't win anything. Um, Jackie Chan got an honorary Oscar because it was, well, we're not going to nominate any of your films because it doesn't meet their pedigree. But because yeah. you're Jackie Chan, we'll, we'll just give you a statue. And to me, it's it's kind of like there are some of the movies that he's done that when you look at its progression of uh, film and what he was able to achieve just outshines anything that was nominated in the last 10 years, in my opinion. And and again, it just it shows the shortcomings of it. I mean, I, I relatively think that movies um, if you're, if you're going to go back and kind of say, what is the best, you need a little time and distance to see if they hold up. Yep. A, a that's year why doesn't when you look help. back on five years, you're like, God, Lord, like get out, not winning best picture. You're like, okay, get out. It's probably one of the most important films released in the last 25 years. Wasn't best picture. But if we went back, I bet we would give it best picture that year. Yeah. So, and I, I, I mean, I don't, I would be curious if there's any filmmakers out there who listen to us and say, oh, yeah, the Oscars actually inspire them to maybe watch some particular piece of work that was nominated and is going to influence them in some way, uh, the artistic vision that they're creating for themselves. Um, I don't know. Somebody had said a long time ago, and this always stuck with me, it's just silly to give an award for art. And, and I, I kind of agree with that. Uh, yeah. It, yeah, yeah. If, if, if film, I mean, it's a commercial business. That, that's kind of the interesting about it. Why I like talking yeah. about it. It's, it's like a business. Well, we, give music, is, we give Grammys to musicians. Yeah. But again, it's yeah. still not relevant. It's, it doesn't, who cares? It's not relevant because it doesn't age well. Right. Yeah. It never, the Grammy never stuff. Really, well. I mean, it doesn't age well. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, uh, I, I could care like tomorrow morning. I, could care less who won. I, I really yeah. could. Yeah. I mean, I hope uh I hope Dune wins best picture. That's the best picture of the nominees that I saw. But um I haven't seen everything. So there was a time when I used to watch them all. Yeah, true. Well, today we're talking about something that was not nominated for anything. I think it snuck out in two thousand four. <laughs> and uh I mean crap. I, I even forgot about the thing until somebody wrote an email in and said, Hey, you should talk about, you know, David Mamet's film Spartan. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I own that one. I haven't watched that for forever. (laughs) So So I I do believe that Roger Ebert gave it four stars. So it did get that. Yeah. On my DVD box art, I think it got too big, like enthusiastic thumbs up. Um, and I remember seeing it in the theater. Uh, was, was this a first time watch for anybody or we'd all seen this before? No, it was first time for me. 
Oh, is it first time for you? Nice. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Good deal. That's good. Well, let's get into it, Brad. You you start with all the financials and um, the reviews. I'm I'm curious how this sucker did because I, I I remember it being in the theaters and then just gone. And quite honestly, I, I just not a lot of people talk about this thing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, released March 12th of 2004 with a reported budget of 23 million dollars. Its total box office run, it made 8.1 million dollars. That Ooh. breaks down 4.4 domestically and 3.67 internationally um it's opening weekend it makes um two million dollars and that is good enough for 10th place Ooh, okay um to be fair it it was pretty limited only 832 theaters so like a mid-level release i think wide is 1500 or above like closer to 2000 um but here are some of the movies that beat it out we have the passion of the christ okay secret window starsky and hutch hidalgo cody banks 2 destination london there was a second one (laughs) yeah i was surprised by that too i I, okay i was yeah, I'm always yep. shocked with these sequels. Sorry, yep. that would have that would have been more in Troy's. Well, no, no, his kids would have been way too young, probably. By way too, yeah, 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 yeah. No, they wouldn't. Uh, they would have not have been interested in Cody. They're still not interested in Cody Banks. So, <laughs> thank the Lord. I'm waiting for uh, that. I'm waiting for that Vincent 4K release <laughs> of Cody Banks double feature. Hey, they put like they, they put Scanner Cop out. They should definitely put the Cody Banks movies out on 4K. Uh, then we got 50 First Dates, Twisted. Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, and then Spartan. And the coming in at number 11 was NASCAR, the IMAX experience. Wow. Twisted. Uh, was that an Ashley Judd movie? Ashley Judd, yes. Yep. Wow. Okay. okay. I remember that. So do you uh, know how, how much it beat the NASCAR movie out by? Was it was it close uh, or was it half a, mil- half a million dollars? Okay. So it was 2 million. NASCAR was 1.4. But I bet they did not spend... $23 million on the IMAX experience for NASCAR. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, Rotten Tomatoes. For some reason, there was no audience score, hmm. but the uh, critics have it at 65%, um, which I think is, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. But, um, but, but around here, Troy, the only review we really care about. This is a movie guide review. Yes. Uh, movie guide is a Christian website that reviews uh, films for their content. Last week, you will remember that we learned that a plus four is the highest rating you can get. That is basically the God tier, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and minus four is abhorrent. Um, You're going any to hell. Guesses, <laughs> any guesses on where Spartan falls on the scale? <sighs> wow. Um well, you know what? They have a brothel in here. Mm-hmm. Some people die. Mm-hmm. I, I I actually think this is this is pretty harsh for yeah. Yeah. um you know the ones who like to clutch their pearls. So it's <laughs> I guess the question is is it a negative four or is it a negative three? I'm gonna I'm gonna be conservative. Say negative three. I'm gonna say okay. negative. I'm gonna say negative four. Oh, it is a negative two. What? Whoa! I was You're kidding me. I was surprised. They, they got, I mean, oh. <laughs> I know, I know. So, I mean, this movie deals with some pretty harsh materials. Yeah. And it, it doesn't really shy away from it, really. Yep. So, language, heavy, violence, moderate, which I think there's 
well, I guess in the grand scheme of things. I mean, it's not uh, the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it's a yeah. pretty violent. It's a pretty violent movie. It's yeah. not. It's not true romance where the guy had to leave. Uh, sex, light, nudity, light. So here is the. Wait a second. They they sex discuss is- a sex trade. They're like selling girls. How is sex light in this thing? Because there's no penetration, Troy. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> here's the review. And I have not read this yet, so okay. I, I, I always like to be surprised just like you. Um, cynical. Uh, oh, Lord. Here we go. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it is a cynical movie. Yes. I will say that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cynical, conspiratorial, humus worldview with some sense. Oh, I'm sorry. With positive moral elements and allegorical Christian references that eventually seem to be well to be stillborn and politically correct undercurrents with apparent anti-American feelings about the government's fight against terrorism and a cynical view of presidential politics that may be a slam against George or oh, President George Bush. They didn't like it because it was anti-George Bush. Okay. How could we be anti-George Bush? Um, about 31 to 35 <laughs> obscenities, somewhere between 31 and 35, couldn't really... Uh, get a hard number on that one strong profanity one light profanity strong borderline action violence includes some rough martial arts moves against people oh martial arts moves against people okay yeah yeah i was gonna (laughs) Uh, say moving against people doesn't sound harsh but who am i to judge uh, Uh, point blank shooting with blood apparent suicide man's arm deliberately broken Woman roughed up and threatened. A man punches girl he's trying to rescue in stomach to stop her from screaming when she's scared. It's very descriptive. Uh, discussion of white slave trade. For some reason, they had to clarify that it was white slave trade. Like it, I feel like if it was the slave trade, it wouldn't have been a problem. But he still <laughs> white in there. Like these Christians aren't down for white slave trade yeah i don't know slave trade like, why, would, why would you say white slave trade i don't know it's just a slave <laughs> trade uh anyway of uh, blonde-haired americans by evil arabs u.s president who commits adultery and boyfriend of president's daughter upper male nudity alcohol use a brief discussion about first lady being an alcoholic smoking and kidnapping white slave trade government corruption and parents neglect daughter Ooh. I I really wish Scientology would get their crap together and start doing movie reviews. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like awesome. I need a Scientology bent on this <laughs> since we're doing the Christian thing. I will look next time. Okay. Um, Good. Films that you could see in March of 2004. We said Hidalgo. Uh, we also said Starsky and Hutch. Uh, wow. Uh, Cody Banks. Cody Banks made $28 million. Shut the front door. Yeah. Wow, the NASCAR experience, $22 million. Get her done. Uh, Secret Window, uh, Dawn of the Dead remake, which I really like that remake. Uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Taking Lives, Dogville. Oh, my gosh. March 26th was huge. Jersey Girl, uh, The Lady Killers, Never Die Alone, Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed. Boom. I think Scooby-Doo dominated that weekend because the rest were bombed. <laughs> yeah. Man, Jersey Girl. Are we going to have to do Jersey Girl at some point in time? I feel like, I feel like we do. Yeah. 
Yeah. I feel like there's so many Kevin Smith bombs at this point. Yeah. yeah. That was the first one, right? That was the first major. That one. was the one where you're like, man, this guy sucks. Dude, I think, Dogma, I think Dogma was a bomb. Yeah. I, I can yeah, tell you Dogma what one we're good. not going to talk about is Cop Out. That movie is atrocious. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's not his worst film. I, I, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't, can't be. Uh, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. It's terrible. It really yeah. is terrible. Well, we get to talk about David Mamet. Uh, Sammy, uh, David Mamet fan, or do you do you actively, uh, should I say, if you see his name attached to something, do you get actively get excited, or is he just another director? Or is there a pedigree about him? Or you know, he, I, I think he's known probably more for screenplays than he, than he is for his directing, right? Yeah. Mostly known as a writer, uh, playwright, and screenplays, but uh, I, I wouldn't say his filmmaking is amazing. But uh, it is cinematic, and I do think he does a good job. I think he was getting better as be, at being a director before he kind of backed off. He's kind of a weird political kind of whack job nowadays. Um, so I, I haven't really paid much attention to him lately. But uh, you know, he kind of can't hit with a bang with House of Games, and there was good stuff in between. Um, I'm a big fan, huge fan of Red Belt, which was one that he did yes. toward the end. Yes. Which is a really good look at kind of uh, uh, fighting and just the the honor and all that kind of stuff, but also just human beings and things like that. But the Spanish Prisoner's good. The Homicide, House of Games, like I said, Heist. He had a really good run there with Heist Spartan and Red Belt. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm playing my cards a little bit early here, but I think his writing is kind of macho. Um, but what I like about his writing is it's very unique to him. Uh, his dialogue and the way his characters speak, it's kind of like Tarantino or some of the great writers. They all kind of sound like him in some weird way. And I just like the way they talk to each other. Uh, I think the dialogue flows. It isn't always very realistic. Um, but I think when I see his name, I know that I'm getting some pretty crisp dialogue between characters at least. It does have a very unique cadence. I mean, there, there's a David Mamet cadence to the dialogue. It's very intentional. And when you hear it, you know it, and it comes through in any of the movies that he writes. Brad, where, where do you fall on sort of the opinion for, for David? So my my kind of thought was he was more prolific, and then I went back and looked at his directorial stuff, and it, it wasn't as much as I thought. Now, his writing is, is a lot, and I, I think – my thing when I go to Mammoth is obviously Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross, and kind of the the ABC copies for closers, all that stuff. Um, that like, if you want me to like say like, give me your stereotypical Mammoth, it's that scene right there. Um, you know, Alec Baldwin uh, at the chalkboard. Um, but yeah, I, I like his style. Um, Sammy kind of stole my thunder. I think Red Belt is like super underappreciated, and I I kind of love that movie a lot. So. Um, but yeah, when I looked at his like filmography, like directorial stuff, I was like, wait, I thought he like did a lot more. And I was kind of surprised by, you know, I think it's like 20 like pieces and some of that's TV and stuff too. So, mm-hmm. um, I was just surprised by that. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he won the 1984 Pulitzer prize in drama for Glenn Gary Glenn Ross and was nominated for the 1995 Pulitzer prize for drama for the play speed, the plow. He has an Oscar nomination for screenplay based on material previously produced or published for two movies, Wag the Dog in 1997, which I, I, f- I find to be one of the funniest political commentaries out there. Mm-hmm. Again, just raw 
commentary and dialogue between characters there. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, and The Verdict in 1982. So he was nominated for that, which I, I feel like is one of Paul Newman's best films, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, directing, you kind of mentioned it, House of Games in nine, 1987. I, th- I, was w- I kind of had the same impression as you, Brad. I really thought he directed more. But when you look at it, uh, Spartan came out in 2004. So the movie before that was Heist in 2001 with Gene Hackman, which is fantastic. If you, if you haven't seen Heist, strongly encourage everybody to go watch that one. Then after Spartan, he did uh, an episode for The Shield and then didn't come back to directing till 2008's Red Belt, which I don't know if you guys knew this. Uh, Red Belt is sort of close to him because he practices Brazilian jiu-jitsu in real life. So he he really understands his martial arts. Um, and then screenplays, he, he kind of came on the scene. I mean, he was known for his, his theater uh, plays, but it was really... Um, the Postman Always Rings Twice in 1981. He got some notoriety for that and then followed that up with The Verdict in 1982. But there were so many screenplays that I totally forgot that he was involved in, like uh, 1986's About Last Night. Totally forgot he wrote that one. Uh, the Untouchables in 1987, which... Yeah, yeah. good dialogue again. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, fantastic. What Sean Connery, speaking of Oscars, Sean Connery won Best Supporting Actor for that one, right? Yep. Okay. Uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, which was 92 that same year. He also wrote the screenplay for Hoffa. And then you've got movies like the edge. Uh, I, <laughs> I did not know he wrote the screenplay for Ronin in 1998, but that's because he was billed as Richard Weiss. It wasn't yep. David Mamet. Dick Richard Weiss. Yep. yep. And, uh, <laughs> Hannibal yeah. red belt and, and Phil Spector, which was a HBO film in 2013. I think he did it. That wrote, was the last thing you did, yeah. Yeah, wrote and directed that one. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I I didn't know he did. Uh, I didn't know he had a screenplay screenplay credit on Hannibal. Yeah, I should say that right now. I mean, I know you said that, but I was like looking through here when I was talking about it, going, I was like, wow, is that the Hannibal? I think it is. Yeah, two thousand one's Hannibal, which is which is weird. There's, you kind of think he did more films, like directed more films. You're like, oh, he didn't direct as many as you thought, but then you go through the screenplay list and all the things that he wrote. You're like. Holy cow, I didn't I didn't know he wrote all that stuff. Yeah, if you look through all this stuff, I mean, again, one of the things that comes out of it all is is the movies they can go back and forth on quality and stuff, but I think all of those movies we can mention, the characters are interesting and the way they talk to each other is interesting. Whether the film's good or not, like I'm a big fan of the remake of Where No Angels, the De Niro Sean Penn <laughs> version. I love that film. A lot of people don't, but the interaction of characters in that film is what I like the most about it. It's not a wonderful movie, but it's, it's, it's got some really great moments. Um, and it's all about those characters talking to each other. Um, the edge has those really great moments between Hopkins and Baldwin, some really great conversations mm-hmm. and Hoffa, which is underrated in my opinion. Uh, it has really good conversations between Nicholson and Dane DeVito. And I mean, there's, there's, that's what I know him as it, the, I think there's only one other person whose dialogue between characters I want to listen to more. And that's probably Quentin Tarantino. Um, but Mammoth feels like the grown up version of Quentin Tarantino. And I'm not saying that as a slide on Tarantino, but Tarantino's more of the, you know, pop culture out, reference, right? Yeah. Yeah. But they, they feel very similar in a lot of ways in the way that their characters interact. They'll be talking about one thing, but doing something else to move the plot forward. Yeah, I get that. I, I'll take about last night. I, I don't know when the last time you guys have watched that one. Uh, those characters are not great people. 
I, I really can't get behind like Rob Lowe or, or Demi Moore. Um, was it James Belushi's in that too? Yeah, it, didn't it, you rewatch that not too long ago? Was yeah, I did. Yeah, that yeah, was you. Right. Yeah, I, w- I watched it and I'm like, man, I totally forgot about this film. Sat down. It, it does have that stage play uh, feel to it, right? But what I find interesting about it is these these characters that he writes for, they're, they are deep, but they're not always likable. I mean, it's supposed to be, I guess, a love story, but it's a love story between two people that at the end of the day you go, I don't, I don't know if they should be together at all. <laughs> I think they're pretty self-destructive. And, yeah. um, but it's interesting. I mean, you, I think his characters come probably straight out of the films that he probably grew up liking and they feel very much like seventies cinema characters. They're not, they're not easily black or white. They're very gray. A lot of his characters are very gray. Yeah. That's a good point. Well, some other people that worked on this sucker behind the, behind the scenes, we got cinematography by Juan Rez and Chia. So he also uh, shot Glengarry Glenn Ross, um, the corrupter in 1999. That one jumped out. With nice. Mark Wahlberg and Chow Fat. I love that film. I, I think I it's another one. On, I bought I, that on DVD the day it came out. Oh, the New I Line Cinema Series. Watch that. I forgot about that movie, to it's, be honest with you. It's good. It, I, I'm not saying it's like the most amazing thing Chow and Fat's ever done or anything, but for what it is, like a late 90s action cop thriller, it's really good. I really like it. Oh, he shot The Adventures of Pinocchio. Have you guys. <laughs> that movie there's something wrong with that movie i've i've only heard about it i've not sat down to watch it yeah um which one, which one is that is that the uh i don't know which one that is there's been the several. steve baron one um oh, i know got jonathan taylor thomas is a voice martin oh. landau is uh geppetto oh geppetto, geppetto. yeah oh, okay yeah yeah i know which one it is now yeah, I know Randy was really pushing the Roberto Bagnini one. So Rob Schneider's in it as well, I believe. Yeah. Rob oh, well, there you go. I can, I can tell you with that cast right now, it's a hard pass. Hard pass, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's probably sitting in some VHS pile with Cody Banks, too, somewhere. <laughs> probably sitting in one of our collections somewhere. <laughs> I, I guarantee you one of us owns it. Yes, between the three of us, one of us has it. I'm going to. One, two, three, not it. I know I don't have yeah. that one. <laughs> At least that you know of. Yes. Like, oh, I, I, well, I do have it. Sorry, guys. Yeah, could be. I don't know. Now, now that that's one of the things that's going to bug me, and I'm going to go searching through everything just to make sure I don't have just it. Throw it out. You're going to yeah. throw it out before we get there. Uh, one other person I want to talk about behind the scenes because he's come up a couple of times is Jeff Imada. So famous stunt coordinator. Uh, obviously, he's worked with Jackie Chan on Rush Hour. We got to get our Jackie Chan reference in. But he's come up a few times. So we've talked about him when we talked about Mortal Kombat. He was a stunt coordinator in Thailand. Uh, Double Dragon, he was a stunt coordinator for that. He was in it too. Memoirs of an Invisible Man, stunt coordinator. He did stunts on the Deadpool, the Clint Eastwood film, which, Sammy, I know you were on the show to talk about that one. And, of course, the perfect film, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. He did stunts for that. So Jeff has been on the show a lot, I feel like. Let's talk about the cast. He's like an an honorary member of the Not A Bomb podcast. Yeah, (laughs) I I think we should send him a shirt or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the people in front of the camera. And I, I, I know the, one of the reasons why I picked this is Val Kilmer came up when we were talking about MacGruber. And I I loved his performance in MacGruber. But and I, True Romance. And True Romance. But I didn't want to talk about Val Kilmer within those two films because as good as he is in MacGruber, 
MacGruber is more about MacGruber, right? I mean, makes a good villain. And in true romance, he plays the, what the mentor is what it's called, but it's really the Elvis Presley ghost. Uh, some facts about Val Kilmer. He was at the time, the youngest student ever accepted into Juilliard's drama department. Mm-hmm. And he has a reputation. Okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> putting it lightly. Yes. Let's, let's share a couple stories. Now I, what I find interesting about Val Kilmer is a lot of people gravitate to this reputation of being a difficult actor to work with, but also when you're looking, you will also see a lot of people who really enjoyed working with him. And it's interesting who enjoyed working, working with Val versus who didn't. Right. So here's just, here's a couple of Val Kilmer stories that I I thought were kind of cool while filming the real McCoy in 1993. So that's that Kim Basinger film. Uh, Kilmer became so enraged when director Russell McCahey declined to alter a scene to his specifications that he fired his prop gun at the car. I just got mad and started shooting his prop gun. Uh, Val Kilmer and Marlon Brando infuriated director John Frankenheimer on the set of the Island of Dr. Moreau from 1996. You imagine putting up with those two assholes. Yeah. My God. Apparently they were terrible according to, according to, to John and Frankenheimer vowed later. He would never, ever, 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 ever work with Val Kilmer again. So there's a lot of these stories out there about Val Kilmer's behavior, but, but here's the flip side to it. Okay. Cause you know, there's, there's two stories. Uh, other actors have noted that they really like working with Val Kilmer and they comment on how much he prepares for his roles. Right. Erwin Winkler, director of at first sight talked about his decision to hire Val Kilmer and quote, he said, I had heard the stories about him. So I checked him out. I called Bob De Niro and Michael Mann, who'd worked with him on heat and they gave him, you know, rave reviews Had a wonderful experience in spite of all the naysayers. When his co-star in the same film, Mir Servino was asked about Kilmer's reputation as difficult to work with. She responded, quote, you know what? He was a, he was, he was a real joy to work with. I just hate furthering rumors about people being difficult because it can do such enormous damage to their careers. My experience with him was nothing but positive. He was really professional and gentlemanly and a terrific actor. And Jeffrey Katzenberg, who produced the Prince of Egypt said, Val was one of the first people cast in the Prince of Egypt. He was there every step of the way, patient, understanding, and phenomenally generous with his time. So you've got people that are Val Kilmer fans. You got people who I don't think will ever walk on the same side of the street as Val Kilmer. They just don't like him that much. According um, to him also though, and from his documentary that he made, he's self-admittedly an asshole. Yeah. has kind of come to the fact that he sort of ruined a lot of relationships and parts of his career because he was difficult to work with. So yeah. 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 <clears throat> I think, I, I mean, think he's he, demanding. He's a, yeah. He's a difficult personality. Um, the camera loves him. I'll say that. And, yeah. uh, he has a very natural ability. Um, but yeah, I mean, relationships are hard. I mean, you work with a lot of people on a movie set and sometimes, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Do you like him I as mean, an actor? I mean, what do you, what do you think of him as an actor? I mean, if they're for like thir- his like 13 year run, like right when I was born, I mean, real genius comes out, which is on HBO when I'm growing up all the time. I watch that almost like every Saturday, I remember watching real genius, that damn yeah. popcorn at the very end, uh, <laughs> top gun, obviously like 
yeah. Iceman is one of the most iconic sort of assholes in cinema history. Oh man, yeah, it's one of the best. Yeah, then he follows that up with Mad Mardigan and Willow, which you know, say what you want about Willow, but he's great in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, then he plays Jim Morrison in The Doors. You're like, man, this guy can do everything. And then he's like Tombstone, and you're like, okay, this might be the greatest actor we've ever seen. And then, of course, he does Batman Forever, and maybe he's not the best Batman. But then Troy, oh, then boy. he does a movie. Oh Lord, here we go. In 1995, directed <laughs> by Michael Mann, he plays Chris. You know what's coming, Sammy? Heat, <laughs> Heat, gentlemen. Yes. Heat is one of the greatest films <laughs> of all time, and I will not hear otherwise. I will not hear otherwise. Pretty okay. Give me a better. Okay. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. I there are parts of it, but I I I just. I'm obsessed with Heat. I, you know, it was one of those. I movies. do find his performance in Heat very, very good. Yes, and yeah, I think the interaction between like, him and De Niro is is really good. I mean, yeah. he held his own with Robert De Niro, which any actor that can do that, that's a that's a sign of something. And uh, I think some of the scenes between him and De Niro are some of the best in the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, because I mean, Pacino is on a whole other planet on that in that movie, but. Yes. I, I love it, but you know, I, I saw Heat when I was like 11 years old, and it's just always been that movie for me. It's it was yeah. like my first big heist movie, and I'm like, this it doesn't get better than this. Um, so it's a pure nostalgia thing for me, but I still think it's it's a classic. Um, but I can see why it wouldn't be for other people. But yeah, I mean, there for that that run, you're just like, holy shit, this guy is almost untouchable, um, and then things start to get a little bit rocky for him when, when the 2000s comes along. He's like Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees. Like he just wasn't built for the 2000s. Like he, he should have just <laughs> stayed. Well, in, 2000, to this- in 2004, he, he had a bunch of, he did Spartan stateside mine hunters and Georgia, the dragon and Alexander. And I think he was on an episode of entourage. 2004 was a busy year for this guy. He was in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, he started working quite a bit. I don't know why he started working more. Uh, could be any number of reasons. I know he had an ugly divorce, right? As well. So, but I mean, for Troy and I, our men of our generation, he'll forever be Nick Rivers first. Yes, Troy always was the Iceman. <laughs> and uh, as great as Iceman is, Nick Rivers is one of these great kind of weird Elvis derivative characters uh, in a spoof that's highly underrated. Top Secret and. I, I think I agree I, for the longest time. I thought he really had everything going for him. I really did. I mean, he almost every film he was in, even in films that aren't great. Like, I don't think red planet's a great movie, but he is really good in red planet. You know, uh, it, it's funny you say that one. Cause I like red planet because he's in there. I mean, yeah, the film yeah. is just, eh, but you put him in that film and I think he really elevates the material. I think the Saint is like that too. I don't think the Saint yeah. is that good of a movie unless Without that foul oh, performance. Yeah. Yep. One of those actors who kind of goes away, and unfortunately, we'll probably never see him do anything like he does again because he's pretty much lost his voice. And I doubt he'll ever get it back, to be honest with you, to uh, throat cancer, unfortunately. But there for a while, he'd go away and make, you know, he's still making movies and stuff, and he'd go away for a while and then he would come back. And you'd be reminded that, wow, this guy is really awesome. And then he'd go away again for a little while. So he's. I mean, he's left, he's left his mark on movies, in my opinion, at least movies of our generation. I, I think so. I, I'm with you. If 
if I were to look at his entire filmography and go, what is your favorite Val Kilmer film? For, for me, it's top secret. That that's where I discovered him. It's where I fell in love with him. I know Sammy, you guys talked about it here uh, towards the end of last year, right? On the gentleman's yeah. guide. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're going yeah. to talk about it um, in May. I think uh, yeah. it's one we of did. my picks. We did a, we did a couple of Val Kilmer's uh, not too long ago. That one in Wonderland. We did that one as well. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And I think, I think he's good in Wonderland as well. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, top secret, uh, the, the films, I, everybody talks tombstone and say, well, you know, Val Kilmer. And I, I think he's amazing in that. But when I think of Val Kilmer, I automatically go to top secret and kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Like those are my two favorite Val Kilmer films. Mm. Yeah, automatically. It's weird. I automatically go to top secret and top gun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, immediately, because I think, I mean, honestly, I think of the eighties asshole characters yeah. that exist, the Iceman is maybe the apex moment. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's he, true. I mean, he's pretty amazing in Top Gun. I mean, it's, you know, I, I know I've talked about Top Gun before and behind the scenes, and we won't get all into that right now. But that performance is something, let me tell you. <laughs> it is. It's so memorable. I mean, he, you, you look at the screen time that he has in comparison to like Tom Cruise, and I would go so far as to say that um, a lesser actor, that would have just been a Tom Cruise film. But you take a step back. That is a Tom Cruise Val Kilmer film through and through. Because yeah. yeah. somebody complained the other day that Top Gun just doesn't have a plot. Like there's nothing to it. It's a dumb movie. And I'm like, well, th there is a plot. And I think it's the character of Maverick and Iceman. I mean, that that film is about the those two and their relationship and what Tom Cruise does and the choices he makes because Val Kilmer is pushing him so much as sort of his antagonist. And the fallout it's about from that. Two, it's about two guys fighting the fact that they just want to have sex with each other. <laughs> well, I mean, literally, their their chemistry is off the chart. I don't. Like I don't think guys. the Christian website would frame it that way. But no. okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that gets back into that old wives' tale. But the it is true though. There is this. There's something about those two performances, and it's just it's a melding of perfect timing for those two actors and that director and that material. It's, it's, you know, it's one of the great movies of the eighties because of all that, because of all that. Yeah, I agree. I'm super excited about the new one too. I, I gotta be honest, like of the films coming out this summer, Maverick, I, I'm just, I'm so ready for that. I should have seen he's it. He's coming back, ago. right? He's gotta be in that. He's got right? a, he's, he's got a part in it. Okay. He's in it, but I'm assuming that, uh, he probably won't be speaking in it. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting. You said that in 2015, Val Kilmer started his battle with throat cancer and due to the cancer, he underwent uh, chemotherapy and two tracheotomies. So in 2020, I think he reported he had been cancer-free for four years, but he uses a feeding tube um, to feed himself because he can no longer eat. And I thought mm -hmm. this was interesting. So he had that documentary come out in 2021 called Val. I think it was on Amazon, right? Amazon Prime? Amazon Prime, yep. Yep. So it's a, it's a fantastic documentary. But what I would also say is it, it's told from the perspective of Val Kilmer. So keep that in mind he does acknowledge his behaviors etc but i don't think he acknowledges to the extreme that some of the stories are out there about him but it's still man that you will tear up in that documentary because i i think he puts everything on display it's really good and in 2021 i thought this was kind of interesting after complex work val kilmer's voice was able to be recreated through ai technology using archival audio of his voice so i think in the documentary his son is speaking for him 
But that same year, they got to the point where they could use Val Kilmer's voice, even though he doesn't have it anymore, just, you know, through computer software. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Which maybe they'll do that with uh, Top Gun. So I don't know. That'd be awesome. A couple other people in this film. There's some surprises in here in terms of acting. First one is William H. Macy as Stoddard. Uh, I feel like William H. Macy's in everything, which if you look at, if you look at his filmography, he's got like 140 acting credits. He's 13 writing credits, six director credits. I mean, the guy is a jack of all trades. Um, yeah, I just saw him in a documentary too. Yeah. <laughs> about the, uh, about the college scandal. Yes. He's, he's been married to Felicity Huffman since 1997. Yeah. Got in a little bit of trouble there. A little bit of hot yep. water. She did. Yeah. And the year that, uh, he got married, he was also nominated for an Oscar in Fargo. Which yeah. he, my God, he's so good in that. He's so good at Fargo. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is one of the great performances of a guy who makes all the wrong decisions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and William H. Macy is interesting to me because if he was an actor today, he would not be in films. Like, they don't let guys like him in movies anymore. Regardless of how good of an actor you are, he doesn't look like, you know. He'd be doing theater. A Greek god, a Greek god or anything like that. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. you throw back to these guys um joey pants is another one's like these guys would never be actors today but <laughs> yeah. good on him he's a, he's a david mammoth actor he's uh he's actually friends with mammoth so yes. I, I mean it all kind of makes sense because he is a mammoth type actor he delivers the dialogue really well and uh he can do anything basically I, can do anything i agree if you look at what he was doing when spartan came out so the year before he was in seabiscuit and then in 2004 he was in spartan and cellular and then in 2005, he turns around and does Sahara. So it's sort of an action adventure film. Mm-hmm. So there's, he's in every genre. He's in everything. And I, I love the fact that he can do comedy, drama, um, the, the whole nine yards. He's, he's so good. We get Derek Luke as Curtis. Um, Tia Texada as Jackie Black. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clark Gregg. Oh, yeah. As Miller. So most you people. Not, you know, may know him as something else nowadays. Yeah, Agent <laughs> Phil Coulson. Yeah. From the Marvel this Cinematic is, this is This is rated R Phil Coulson is what this is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he does have a Phil Coulson. He's not nice in this. He's not like the nice Phil Coulson. He's a very mean Phil Coulson in this one. <laughs> He's very, very much the bureaucratic Phil Coulson in this. Uh, very, uh, you know, he's supposed to be bureaucratic as Phil Coulson, but here he is clearly bureaucratic. It's, uh, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's mean. As my kids would say, he's a butthole. Yeah, he's really mean. He's not nice. Uh, here's the one that surprised me. What? And it's funny you brought up Andrew Dice Clay because outside of <laughs> yeah, outside of Married with Children, the only other film I kind of associate with uh, Ed O'Neill is The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. When really? um, Ed O'Neill, not even not even Dutch. No, no, it's Adventures of Ford Fairlane because he t- does that song or that rap. Because he's a police time. officer, uh, booty, booty time. time. Yeah, booty time. Cross booty time. USA. Yeah, right. I think of I think of him as Glenn, the 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 donut shop guy from Wayne's World and Wayne's World Two. Ah, no, booty time cop. I know. <laughs> All day long. Uh, I think he, I think he's an amazing character actor. I think yes. he got typecast as as uh, Ed. Was it, what was his name? Ed Ed Bundy. Ed Bundy. Al Bundy. Okay. Yeah. Al, Al, Al Bundy. Bundy. Yeah, Ed, yes. Bundy, Ed Bundy was. <laughs> You're you're one you're one letter oh, from Ted we're thinking, Bundy. Yeah, we're one letter from Ted Bundy here. Uh, God, we're morons. Yeah, but uh, he's a really good character actor, and you know, to this day, I think when he pops up in a movie, he's uh, he's still really good. I mean, he really is. But I can't 
not think of Al Bundy when I see him. I can't. Every time I see him, I think booty time. I just, you know what? You know what? I, I can't wait for the day I see the headline married with children. They couldn't make that today. Go fuck yourself. I yeah. hate this. Like, yeah. Come on. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, he's one of the few actors who's had two hit TV shows. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. That's right. Modern Modern Family. Is that the other one? Yeah. yeah. A, okay. a lot of actors get one, but him and Kelsey Grammer. And uh, there's a few others that have had two. Yeah. And, and again, he, he hit his pinnacle with the adventures of Ford Fairlane directed by, uh, <laughs> Uh, oh, the Die Hard Two guy, Rennie, Rennie, Rennie Harlan, yeah. yeah, the Finnish torpedo brother. So here's something <laughs> fascinating. I don't know if you knew this about Ed O'Neill. I only learned this. Gosh, it was, uh, I think it was last year, and I don't know how I picked it up, and it totally unrelated. But he is a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He practices jiu-jitsu on a regular basis, and he's really good. Apparently, Ed O'Neill is really good. Like he wipes people off the off the mat. That's how so, good he what is. was that documentary I saw? I am Bruce Lee. He does an interview in the in the documentary. Yes, that's Bruce right. Lee. And yes. he's okay. he has a pretty extensive martial arts background. He's been involved in it for most of his life. But um, when you talk about people, his, and Ed body, his body says otherwise. But okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got the schlubby body. But I'll tell you this: there's something about his body, his torso, <laughs> and he's got these really long arms and these big hands. I bet if that guy got a hold of you, I bet you'd be done. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I I want to watch Ed O'Neill like um jujitsu fight videos. Yeah. Like that's I'm yeah. gonna be YouTubing that later if they exist. Um, in the nude, yes. In the nude. <laughs> no. Upper upper. I feel nude. like he's a very hairy guy. I don't I don't want to see that. No. <laughs> uh was there anybody else in the film, Sammy? You're you're usually one that kind of does a deep dive um, on on the actors. Some, some other fun actors in there. Um, one that I thought would catch on and actually get a pretty good career as a tough guy actor is Johnny Mesner. Uh-huh. He played uh, Grace. He played the uh, the other kind of Marine that kind of hangs out. Oh, his you buddy. probably know him. Yeah. yeah, you probably know him from like, I think he's in the second or third Anaconda film Ooh. and a few other things. There for a while, it seemed like he was going to be, like I said, a good tough guy actor. He's got a great look. And everything got a tough guy voice. He was in Tears of the Sun with Bruce uh, Willis and oh yeah, and a few other things. And uh, I thought, man, this guy's going to be he's going to make it. But uh, unfortunately, he he really burned out. So he's kind of fun. And then of course we we'd be remiss if we didn't mention this is a pre-stardom Kristen Bell in here, mm-hmm. right? Yes, that's yeah. right. Plays so the president's daughter that because I completely forgot she was in this film. I didn't recognize it was her until it was almost over. And I'm like, oh, that's Kristen Bell. <laughs> yeah. 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 Completely forgot she was in this film. They showed for me, it was the, uh, it was the minute they showed the, the, the photo. And I was like, was that Kristen Bell? And I rewound it. And I'm like, oh yeah, that was Kristen Bell. How about that? For me, it wasn't until they're in the container and she's about ready to go home. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's Kristen Bell. <laughs> yeah. And she had already hey. talked like five, six lines, you know, to be fair, we kind of skipped over, uh, Derek Luke, who was, yeah. uh, yeah. Booby Miles in in uh, Friday Night Lights. If you want to yeah. win, let Booby spin. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was also in um, what was the name of that movie? Oh, Notorious, the uh, yeah. Notorious B.I.G. movie. He was Sean P. Diddy, Puff Daddy Combs in that movie. So yeah. not a he's great still, movie, but he was pretty good in there. Yeah, he's still working um, and he's a good actor. I, I tell you what, he's in that. Uh, he was discovered by Denzel, right? I believe Denzel. Yes, he was in that. Uh, Antoine Fisher. Fisher. Yeah, Fisher. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And he's really good in that film. And that film was actually quite underrated. Oh, he was in Biker Boys. I might need to go back and look at that. 
<laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that one. You never seen Biker Boys? Uh-uh. Oh, it's oh Biker boy. Boys. Biker Boys with a Z. With a Z, baby. Oh, that well, that's, that's what it is. If that I, might be a bomb, you guys might have to check that one out. Biker Boys. Okay, we can add. You guys to can the do list. a whole month of movies with that end with a Z. There's a lot <laughs> of bombs where they end with a Z when they replace Z. the S with a Z. Zombies. <laughs> There's a Biker Boys and Bike Boys. If Ooh. you're running. <laughs> Bike so Boys. What was the uh, when Fast and Furious came out? There was the motorcycle one. Torque. Torque. I saw that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. I actually like Torque quite Guys, a bit. Why do we know that? <laughs> I don't. I just, do we, what are we doing with our lives? When that thing came out on Blu-ray like, again, hey, I, I was excited to buy that. Hey, you know that motorcycle movie that's kind of like Fast and Furious? We're like, yeah, Torque. Well, like, they do we motorcycle foo at the end of it. They're like fighting on motorcycles. But the thing that Torque has or doesn't have, the Biker Boys has, is Kid Rock. So Ooh. I think you need to go look at Biker Boys. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm gonna stick with Torque. I'm good. Man, I, Biker Boys has got an amazing cast for what kind of movie it is. Oh my god. <laughs> I, I, I never mind. I don't want to talk about. it. We could talk about it for an hour about that cast. Or do we really need to go back and visit Biker Boys at some point? Uh, did yes. it bomb? Uh, yes, it did. Yes, it did. Okay. Larry Fishburne. <laughs> oh my god. It's got an amazing cast. Orlando I mean, Jones. Kid. Lisa Bonet. Oh yeah. Uh, oh oh yeah. We need to. Uh, Oliver's in there. Kid Rock. Oh my God. Tyson Lauren Beckford. Tate. <laughs> yeah. Terrence Howard. Kadeem <laughs> Hardison. Wow. It's, we just. I was just. I was just kind of browsing over it, and I'm like, wow. Every one of these stars could carry a movie practically. So Terrence Howard's character in that movie is named Choo Choo. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing. How could this thing get a 36 on Metascore and a 4.6 on IMDb with this cast? No. Don't yeah, know. we got it. We got to revisit this one because yep. this one definitely bombed. Okay. Good, good to know. I've left my stain on your. Yeah, show. you're you're coming back to do Biker Boys. Yeah, by the way. So yeah, you, you got to talk. On us, you're coming back. I've never seen Biker Boys, so I guess uh, you know there's got to be a first time for everything. There yep. you go. Well, listen, I, I th- there's really nothing to talk about from a production standpoint. I mean, this thing got funded, got filmed out the door. They did a lot of research and. Uh, David Mamet did some rewrites during shooting, but you know, nothing, nothing terribly with a typewriter in a, and I've, I've read a, with a typewriter in a, like a cardboard box. Like yeah. Something do, like that. But there's no what? juicy, you know, stories about how they made this thing. It, it pretty much came in on time and, and got released. I'm, I'm wondering what the expectation was for this. Uh, Cause Val Kilmer in 2004, I don't think was, was really carrying anything. And there, there really isn't anything else in this film to make it sort of a, um, I don't know. I was a little shocked when I, when I found out they, they spent over $20 million on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Sammy, I'm going to start with you. Uh, you, when, when we put this on the list and you're like, Oh yeah, Spartan, I, I'd like to talk about that. I'm, I'm curious what, uh, what made you kind of raise your hand on this one and, and want to talk about it and how was the revisit? All right. Um, so one of the reasons why I wanted to talk. So one of the things I've grown to appreciate about movies as I've gotten older same as getting serious. He's pointing his finger at us. I'm pointing the finger. <laughs> well, who are you pointing at exactly? Is it both pointing, of us? Right now, I'm pointing at a picture of Ed O'Neill. Oh, okay. Because um, <laughs> I think he's talking trash. Well, one of the things that I, I'm bringing, taking my hand down. Okay. One of the things that uh, I've come to appreciate is pure genre movies. Okay. Uh, I do a genre movie podcast in my free time. Uh, and what I love about genre movies, I love when they cut out everything and just lean into the genre. <laughs> and 
you could say if you look at David Mamet's films, most of his films do that. He really pretty much it's kind of like uh, Soderbergh in some ways that they'll just kind of lean into it. And I've always kind of appreciated that. And what I remembered, and I've only seen this one other time. This is the second time I've watched it. Oh, okay. Um, what I remembered about it though was is that it's all business right from the get go, and it pretty much stays all business to the very end. It never really stops. It kind of goes and goes and goes. It feels like the kind of movie they would make with Liam Neeson now in some ways. Um, but I think what I like about this is I like the kind of bureaucratic macho talk um, amongst these secret service folks. And I like this kind of secret world. And I like the Val Kilmer performance. I think it's really good. I think he uh, he harps a little bit on the uh, the Michael Douglas character in Black Rain with the baby. Oh no, baby! <laughs> it ain't so, baby, come on, baby, come on, baby. Uh, he's got a lot of babies in here, but uh, I, I really like his. I, I bought him as this ranger or this ex marine or whatever he's supposed to be. I, I never really got a clarification on that. Was it marine? I think it was marine. Yeah, he's a marine. Yeah, Marine Corps. Yeah, yeah, and. I, I bought it. I bought into it. I bought into the, I liked his interaction with the Derek Luke character. I think there's a really nice twist in this movie uh, with the, some of the character setups and everything. I, I mean, we, I, I guess on your show, you don't really mind the spoilers. Oh, so we guess, spoil the heck out of it. So I, I guess we should have a, a disclaimer on this one. This there's some twists that happen midway through the film. I would say if you go watch the trailer or even read the synopsis and it interests you, then, then maybe don't listen to the rest of the show. Go back and watch it. But if if it's something that you go, hey, I, I really don't care. I mean, we're, we're going to spoil the heck out of this thing. So, yeah, I think that, you know, some of the stuff and here's where the spoiler happens. Some of the stuff that happens with the almost father figure relationship between the Scott character and the Curtis character with uh, Derek Luke and then the transition with the a bit of a shocking moment uh, in this film. I think it's a shocking moment where the Derek Luke character has caught on to something and he basically gets wiped out. I don't think you see that coming. I think they did a good job of hiding that. I think the twist at the end of the film with who is actually the big bad of the whole thing. I don't think it's a surprise, so to speak, but I think it's well done because for the longest time in the movie, William H. Macy's just kind of a background character, mm -hmm. but then you kind of find out that Stoddard's kind of leading the charge a little bit. Um, kind of behind. I mean, the scene. he might as well come into the movie wearing a black hat. I mean, it's yeah, it's, it's kind of obvious. Yeah, it is kind of like that. Uh, but you, I think they really kind of set it up with the Ed O'Neill characters being the mm -hmm. the real heavy, and Stoddard really is the power kind of behind the whole thing, kind of quietly. Um, I like just how this movie it just leans into everything. They never really discuss the the president's daughter's name. They just always call her the girl. Where's the girl? Wait, tell me about the girl, the girl. Where's the girl? You hear that a lot. That movie. sentence, I think, makes up probably 40% of the screenplay. Where's yeah. the girl? Yeah, a lot of that. And for me, the movie, I think, moves along at a pretty good pace and is never really boring. I, I, I don't think it's a masterpiece. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I think that it could use a little bit more quiet moments with characters. There's a couple of good moments between Bell Kilmer and Derek Luke where they're just sitting around talking. Um, there's a couple of good moments between Clark Gag, Greg's character and Val Kilmer. Uh, there's good moments here and there. There's moments when I think 
it's going to turn into a little bit of a men on a mission film and I'm getting a little excited, but Kilmer's character is so much of a, a lone wolf that that's not going to happen. Um, so I, I think it's a bit of a lost opportunity there, but I'm not sure how I feel about that. I, I think for me, it's just a, it's released as an A movie, but I think what this is, is it's a very solid B movie. I think it's a solid spy B movie. Like they don't make, to me, they don't make movies like this much anymore. Uh, they, uh, the movie feels big. Uh, and yeah, $20 million is, is a pretty good chunk of change in 2004. The move, but the movie feels big and yet it really isn't that big. I, I'd, I'd be amazed how much they really actually shot anywhere outside of uh, California or anything. They probably just dressed some things up and, and uh, moved around or maybe they shot on the East coast. I didn't even look and see where they shot it, but yeah, that's true. It, it does have a sense of scale, but in the grand scheme of things, it is very low scale. Yeah. And it's not so much about the, there is some knife fighting and there is some hand to hand combat and stuff here, but this is very much a gun espionage spying uh, patient type of film. And it is a violent movie. I think the violence is really good. I think the uh, the gunshots feel real. Um, it's uh, juicy, as we like to say on our show, nice and juicy. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, it, it really is all resting on Val Kilmer. And I think Val Kilmer's a star. I think he carries the weight of this film quite well. Okay. Um, but that's just my kind of initial thoughts on I like it. Yeah, for some reason, I thought you'd seen it a few more times um, than this just being your second. Okay. Well, Brad, first time watch for you. Uh, obviously, you're a David Mamet fan, so you're you're kind of filling out a blind spot. What what you think of Spartan? Yeah, and and I'm a big Val Kilmer fan too, and and I do like a good. It's an action thriller. It's just more of a thriller, I guess. Right, like espionage thriller type. I mean, there is action. Um, but, action light, maybe. Yeah, action light thriller. Um, I I I like that genre a lot. Like Sammy said, this isn't like a tier, but it's like a perfect B movie that they don't really make anymore, and it kind of saddens me. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I I really I I dug this movie quite a bit. Um, I was surprised how quickly the runtime kind of went by, and how engaged I was, and how I was kind of on my seat. Uh, edge of my seat, like wondering what was going to happen next. Um, when the, uh, what's his name? When Curtis gets shot, like out of nowhere, that's the moment where I'm like, Oh man, like the stakes in this movie are pretty high. Like I, I, I guess when he gets shot initially with the shotgun, I'm like, Oh, okay. He's out of that. You know, he had his moment. And then literally is when he's back up on his feet. I mean, he just gets, murked from you know a sniper rifle and that's it and and then in there you're like okay there's something bigger going on um and i always like that sort of there's a story going on but there's also another story going on in the background that you're just getting bits and pieces of um and obviously someone's trying to get to the bottom of it um val kilmer is like a he's he's like a anti-hero in this movie a little i mean he kind of works outside the law a little bit and there's no sort of due process. And I was thinking that whole setup to get the, like the, the one prisoner, like he has that shootout with the gas station clerk and then the cop that was all staged, right? Like he didn't. Okay. Okay. 
Um, he, he did like, murder the other prisoner, though. He did, but I was like, he didn't really murder that cop, did he? And then I was like, no, I think that was staged as well. Yeah, because the, um, the cop is in the diner taking out the blood packets oh, that's and right. everything. Okay, yep, yep. Um, yeah, I, I do want to go back. That's a good point. I do want to go back and watch this again because I, I, I think I missed some things here and there. But for the most part, I was I was like engaged the entire time. This this plot had me going. Um, the William H Macy turn was pretty not a turn for me really because um, I was like, come on, it's William H Macy. He's kind of got that sleaziness to him in this movie. He's gonna be <laughs> he's gonna be the guy in this movie. Um, it is interesting to see Kristen Bell like 2004. You're like, wow, and you can kind of tell like then like, oh, she's got a presence on screen like. She, you know, if I saw this movie in 2004, I'd be like, okay, that girl's going somewhere. Um, and she does. Um, but overall, this is a great Val Kilmer performance. And I think it, it, it kind of, like we said, like the saint is like this and some other movies, like if Val Kilmer's not good in this movie, I don't know if I enjoy it as much, but he's really good in, in, it definitely leads to this movie. Um, but man, I miss, I miss movies like this a lot. Like I, I could, you put an action thriller in front of me and I will watch it any day of the week. Is this, is this the stuff that's shown up on streaming now? Do you think? And it's not playing in theaters because it's, it's going, but even then I can't think of the last uh, direct to streaming or video film that was this uh, caliber. I don't don't think it's that well made. I don't, I mean, I think there's been a handful of the Liam Neeson films that are pretty decent. Yeah. I mean, essentially what this is, this is the, the Charles Bronson genre. This is the, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, good point. This is those, you know, those seventies action films where they just take a lead and just put them in a very simple, basic story and just kind of plow through. And, uh, sometimes you'd get a, a death wish or a Mr. Majestic, but sometimes you'd get a, a telephone or a assassination. <laughs> yeah. Assassination. <laughs> yeah. But so, I, you could definitely see the, like the, the evolution to, from this movie to like something like taken, like you just give the guy a little bit more motivation make them a little bit more of a badass, make the foreign people more brown and more evil, and then you're good to go. <laughs> really? I mean, that's, it is. <laughs> well, yeah, in this case, it is. Um, but I think also, you know, the, we talked about this last week with Jean-Claude Van Damme on your show. You know, these these kinds of movies, you know, in the 90s, 80s and 90s, they were really, some of these were getting pumped out to video. Yeah. And uh, they kind of became a... Uh, until Liam Neeson kind of bring them, brought them back in some ways, they kind of became like almost like something. It's almost like they became like a dirty word, like horror films in some weird way. But, uh, you know, now we got some of these guys that are sticking around, you know, the uh, Statham films and, and guys like that that are making these movies. And I just think it's a genre that there's only a handful of guys that can do it now or that they will allow to do it. And I keep thinking it's a genre that's going to come back because it seems like a genre that doesn't, like the, it's got a low cost, like a low overhead. And it seems yeah. like you could make your money back pretty quick. But I, I think you need an actor. So it's interesting that we've talked about Liam Neeson uh, in the Taken films in direct connection to this one. I think the difference is the material might be a little interesting. Like Taken is interesting. This film is interesting, but what elevates it is that actor that you don't necessarily expect to be in this type of film. So when Taken came out, I don't think anybody was looking at Liam Neeson and going, oh, my God, that guy is such a badass and so efficient at just eliminating everybody. And, and same thing with Val Kilmer in this one. I don't think you expect Val Kilmer to be the character that he's it, that he is in this. So I think what helps movies like this out 
or elevates them beyond like the direct-to-video is taking a star that might not be known for this type of genre, putting him in there, and then maybe taking the the gravitas that they bring to a role and letting him flex that on top of uh, being a little bit of an action star. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The yeah. dieharding? The dieharding? Is that what you're trying to say? The dieharding, yes. The Bruce Willis effect, right? Take take a guy yeah. from a comedy TV show and and put him in an action film. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. Right. Like, I don't think anybody thought Bruce Willis was going to be. I know I didn't. I, I loved him on Moonlighting. But when Die Hard came out, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to see it because I love Moonlighting. Yeah. And Bruce Willis is, is snarky and funny and I'll have a good time because I like him. Um, I didn't think he could do it, but I was wrong. And, yeah, I don't uh, I don't think anybody expected that bathroom scene between him and Al when he's trying to patch his foot up, because when you when you see Moonlighting that, you know, Bruce Willis wasn't flexing those muscles, but then you watch Die Hard, you go, "Wow, he, he's he's got some depth to his acting at that time." Well, what I what I realized after watching Die Hard is he's a movie star. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's what these guys that typically carry this genre—that's what they are. They might not be the greatest actors on the face of the earth. You could we could argue about Charles Bronson's ability till we're blue in the face. <laughs> I think he's one of the greatest actors of all time, but only because he's Charles fucking Bronson. Uh, there's nobody, there was nobody like him before. And I really don't know if there's anybody like him since. And he carried a certain gravitas that I, I I can't explain. His face was unique. His acting style was certainly unique. Yeah. And, uh, but he carried the whole thing. And Steve McQueen had that same ability. Although I think he was a better actor than Bronson, but these guys, you know, when we were growing up, you know, we, we all thought Chuck Norris was that guy. Of course, you go back and look at Chuck Norris films. They're a little. They're wonky. A little clunk- yeah, they're, they're wonky. a little clunky. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's fun ones. Invasion USA stands up for what it is. And, you know, but it's absolutely insane. Of course, it's going to. Code of Silence, I think, is one of his best. Yeah. Walker told me I have AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my go God. That, that clip. Oh, but, boy. I mean, this, this genre has been around for a while. It's not nothing new. I mean, I just ordered. To Tyra, uh, Tyrone Powers, Mark of Zorro. So, I mean, uh, from back in the 40s. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they take a lead like that has some, like, say, some weight or some cinematic uh, he- heft to them and just stick them in a, in a genre and uh, just go with it. And if it works perfectly, like it did in the case of Die Hard, it becomes an explosion. And now every time you go see a Bruce Willis movie, you're going to see what you hope is going to be the next version of Die Hard. Yeah, you, you. I mean, is there another role that Bruce Willis is more known for than the John McClane role? I mean, you see a Bruce Willis well, film post post Die Hard, and you go, "Well, what's what's the next version of John McClane?" Right? Yeah. He, well, I mean, he was the voice of the baby, and look who's talking. So, I mean, that's pretty <laughs> high up there. But I was still expecting. I a mean, mini it's like one John A and one B, really. Like, yeah, I'll take I'll take the uh, the the dream sequence where John Travolta is fake burping at the table, and look who's talking. That is comedic gold. Um, the uh, the uh, the truth is is that once he became John McClane, he's always John McClane. So yeah. now you've got striking distance. So it's John McClane on the water. You got uh, you know whatever else he does. Tears of the sun. It's John McClane in the jungle. I know it's not technically John McClane because he's an everyday cop, but it didn't have to be because once he became John McClane, that's all we cared about. We just right. wanted to see, you know, it became Chuck Norris, it became Bruce Lee, it became Charles Bronson, and I think. If this would have worked out for Val Kilmer, 
he would have had a wonderful career because he tried this a couple times. Really, the Saint is kind of a, even though it was a property before, it was, I know it's one of his favorite things he ever did. Um, but he tried this with a couple things. And uh, he Thunderheart, never really right? Kinda, was another one yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah. He just never really kind of caught on like some of these other guys do. And, uh, you know, I think unfortunately, if he wouldn't have gone through the health problems he has now, he'd be, he'd be really ripe for this genre right now. I mean, he'd be perfect for it right now. Right. At his age and everything else, uh, because I, you know, those Liam Neeson films, let's say for example, Taken's pretty fun. I think Taken two and Taken three are pretty bad. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. But there are some good, like the gray. I think the gray is amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I'll see something like, um, what was the one I watched not too long ago? The, the commuter. commuter. Yeah, yeah. The commuter's terrible. Yeah. And I was like bored out of my mind. So every now and then he can still hit it out of the park because I love watching Liam Neeson on screen. So I think this is just a genre that just don't it, ask me about black people and you'll be fine. Yeah, it comes, it comes and goes. <laughs> it just comes and goes. Uh, and I think this could have been that case for Val Kilmer, but unfortunately it just didn't work out. Yeah. It's um, I, I mean, my take on it is I really love the first half of this film. I, I love the fact they just drop you in and, and you go mm -hmm. and you are learning about, specifically Val Kilmer's character through all the decisions and choices he's making as an actor and how he is carrying himself in contrast to, I, I guess the orders or the, or the information that I guess is given to him. So Scott is a character in, in the first 10 or 15 minutes. You don't know what to think of him because he's in action from like the start. Right. Uh, I, I think there's a point though that, and it, and it might be just right after the country store sequence. So you, you know, <laughs> you, you get to a point and you go, oh, well, the president's daughter's dead. It was a boating accident. It didn't go down this way. And Curtis shows up and goes, Hey, I, I don't think that's right. And they start to have this dialogue and I, I you saw the sign. He goes, yeah, you saw the sign, baby. You saw the sign. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I think when the conspiracy elements come in, it kind of goes from, man, I'm loving this film. It's really thrilling to, okay, it's pretty exciting. And then when Curtis bites it, you're like, Oh, didn't see that coming. It shocks you. And then the stuff that comes after that, it, it kind of goes into, okay, this is a pretty solid thriller. It, it doesn't have the momentum that I think the first half does. I think the first half is, is pretty freaking brilliant. Yeah. Uh, um, the conspiracy mystery part of the second half, I, I don't know. And, and this is what I've been trying to figure out for me. It doesn't have a lot of weight. Like since, yeah. since you aren't really getting to know the characters uh, and it really comes down to, okay, now she might be alive. And the reason why they really don't care about getting her is because she knows um, her, her dad, who's the president is sleeping around and that could hurt his reelection chances. And trust me, I, I think part of it is because in today's environment, like in 2022, you're just like, okay, so what, right? Because yeah. there's so much garbage out there with our politicians. Maybe in 2004, that was a bit more shocking. In 2022, it's like you can't hold office until you've like banged, you know, four people outside of your wife and you have all these skeletons in your closet. Like that's a prerequisite to be a lawmaker anymore is you got to be a piece of shit. Um, so uh, it's it's not that shocking anymore in my remember opinion. Remember when Howard Dean's political career went off the deep end because he yelled? Yeah. yeah. Remember that? I mean, yeah. it's crazy. 
I think um, the first time I ever had a moment like that was like, I think I remember Gary Hart running for office and they found out he cheated on his wife and like he went, went away in disgrace. And I remember thinking, man, what a way to go. And not thinking that that's going to be every president after that. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and I, I mean, there there is a point when you get into like 40s or 50s and then you start to pay attention to the news and you start to pay attention to how the world works. And it's not the stuff that they gave you in textbooks. And all of a sudden, and I, I think I've said this and I can't remember what movie we talked about, like conspiracy theories anymore at my age. I think I made this joke um, when we talked about it, like, what is the difference between a conspiracy theory and the news? It, it's about six months. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. You, you hear all of this crazy stuff and 20 year old Troy would have been like, there's no way that our, our government's not like that. Like this, this is just ludicrous. This is national Enquirer crap. And, you know, late 40-year-old Troy is like, well, that's probably just skimming the surface. There's probably way more crazy stuff going on with this person, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, it, and, and this is what I kind of struggle with on the back half. And, and here's a question I would have for you guys. If you really don't know Scott as a character, Val Kilmer, right? then what you're left with is the story and the plot and the conspiracy to keep you going. Yeah. So my question is, is the Val Kilmer character, Scott consistent through the film? And is it enough to keep you interested or grounded in the material and that it has some kind of emotional impact to it? Who wants to go first here, Brad, you or me? I, I'll go first. I think he, is who he needs to be at a certain, at certain points in this movie. Like sometimes he has to be a little bit hard and he has to beat people up and, you know, throw the hands other times he doesn't. Um, so he's like, you know, he's this Marine. So he's adaptable. Um, I don't know. He's a very difficult character to like, like I did not think I would want to like hang out with him, but I would, I would trust him to get a mission done. Um, and that's kind of all I really cared about. Okay. I think, uh, I like the Scott character. Uh, he's very Jack Reacher, probably pre Jack Reacher in a lot of ways. I don't know if you guys have ever read Jack Reacher stuff. I'm sure you've seen the films, but, yes, right. uh, the Tom Cruise films are kind of nothing like the books. Uh, the TV show that Amazon did this year is very much like the books, but the books are very much the Reacher character is just a kind of a harbinger for change right this he's just going to come into a town and just like yo jimbo or just like uh clint eastwood's uh, man with no name he's there to create change he didn't intend for it to happen but that's what's going to happen uh scott's a little deeper than that i think he is a bit of a jerk but i think he's a loner by nature uh lifetime military guy i think he's fine i think the scott character is interesting i don't think they give you enough of his personal life but I don't know that I want it anymore. I think I agree with you, Troy, though. I think the back end, the problem with the back end of the movie is it wants to be so big. It kind of gets muddled and it kind of gets to be a bit of a mess. Not, not, I, don't not know, I, found, it, I found it a little clunky. I, I yeah. will agree with that. I yeah. think the, a lot of coincidences, a yeah. lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's serviceable. That's the best word I can use. Yeah. But, Certainly the weaker part of this movie is the rescue mission and not the, the prep and all the research right. and all the work before that, which in a way 
kind of makes sense because it seems like that's what Mammoth would be better at anyway, is this kind of small room people in a room talking, trying to figure out how do we get the girl. But once he actually has to go get the girl, it seems like Mammoth's out of his wheelhouse at that point. It uh, And I kind of appreciate it. So I like the fact that there's all this planning and you get into the weeds on how they're going to execute. And then it just gets thrown out the window. There, there's an incident that happens. and They go, we can't wait. We have to move now. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, when Curtis dies, you're like, oh, my gosh. But then when everybody else dies, you're like, eh, okay, I was, now I'm expecting it. <laughs> like Val Kilmer's not going to die. But my yeah. God, if he has a discussion with you, you're dead. Like everybody around him is dead. Um, but I don't know the the thing that I found most interesting is that Val, Val Kilmer has a qualm with murder, but it's in this weird context. Like he, he has a speech with, um, Ed O'Neill and Ed O'Neill is like, I need a guy that can do this, be outside the law. And Val Kilmer's like, yeah, yeah, I'm your guy. Right. So Val Kilmer from like a moral code and what makes him interesting is he will do whatever it takes to get the mission done. And I think his definition of murder is, well, if the government told me to do something, that's not murder. So I thought it was really interesting where they said, Hey, this prisoner, you're going to fake this whole robbery and he's tied to this other guy and you got to kill the other guy, but don't worry, he's already on death row. And so they're going to gas him. And so Val Kilmer's like, fine, I'll, I'll kill that guy. And he doesn't seem like he has a whole lot of qualms about it. It looks like he's getting worked up a little bit and might be questioning it. But as soon as he goes out, he can execute. And I love the fact that he has, um, he's a tool and they are using him as a tool to get things done. And he understands that aspect of it. And he has these exchanges with the Curtis character and the, um, Jackie black character where he's just like, look, if you want a friend, go do this. We are not friends. This is how it works, et cetera. And I buy that first part so much. I don't know if I buy him caring towards the back half of the film, if that makes sense. Okay. Okay. So I see what I see the angle you're taking. He's all business. He is in the first 40 to 50 minutes. And then all of a sudden he's, you know, it's personal. Yeah. Is it, is it the Curtis? I, I think what it comes down to is from, from a story perspective, Curtis's death is supposed to trigger something in him that all of a sudden he's like, okay, there's something more to it. I don't question things, but now I'm going to question things because I was kind of a father figure to this Curtis. Now he's dead and I want to go find that out. And I, I know that's the story beat. I know that's what's supposed to happen in the screenplay. Yeah. And yeah. I know Val Kilmer's trying to get that uh, across from an emotion or from an acting, but I don't know if he's successful at it. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's just too much stuff kind of left hanging on the back end of the movie. The back end of the movie really as fast as the front end of the movie moves and is, and is all business. The back end of the movie is trying to move twice as fast to me and nothing, everything seems to kind of, it's like plot there. It's just kind of keep getting left hung up you know, wide open. That's a good point. Right. When I, when I read that whole, he was doing some rewrites on a typewriter or something. I'm like, I, I bet you that happened towards the back half. Like I, I have to imagine they struggled with how to wrap this up a little bit. Cause if we you'll... never, we never learned really anything about the kidnappers really. Like usually in a movie you would find out like, you know, it's 
I don't know. The 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 whole slave trade thing is so quick at the end. Like that that climactic shootout. I wouldn't even call it a climactic shootout. Um, <laughs> well, shootout. And there's kind of a there's kind of a two part, right? So they go to the compound, and it's definitely not like a zero dark thirty moment. It's like a we kill three guys and then we're done, and then we get chased a little bit by uh, William H Macy, and there's a little shootout there. And then it's done, and you're like, wow. For a movie that was kind of building up to something, it, it felt a little bit like, wow, okay. But maybe that's, you know, not everything is storming the compound and kill Bin sure. Laden. Maybe yeah. it's just, hey, we're getting this person, and then we're leaving on a private jet. So yeah, um, <clears throat> that's fine. I just, when you're racing towards something and you feel like it's going to be a, a big payoff and it's just like three dudes, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's a choice. I, I get it. Um. Yeah, can we pause for a second? Uh, Sam, you talked about this is completely off, but I, I wanted to see if I'd seen this movie before. You talked about Cold Pursuit. Is that the? Oh, that's that the, a uh, that's a Liam Neeson film. It's really good. Okay, yeah, yeah I haven't seen that one actually. Okay, it's a remake so of a Dutch film, I think, or it's something. Dutch. Yeah. His last name in that movie is Coxman. That's got to be on purpose, right? <laughs> that's on purpose, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I think so. I, I you know, we we can laugh about it, but I think these movies are. These movies are made for when I was growing up, these movies are made for guys who went to the video store. And, you know, so I always think of this, my, my best friend growing up, his dad was a truck driver and he only watched two kinds of movies. One, we don't talk about on this show. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Even on my show, most of the time, uh, two, the other kind of movies are Charles Bronson, you know, James Coburn movies, tough guy movies. Yeah. Tough guy movies. Yep. And these movies, they know their audience. Um, if if I if I rent a movie, if I rent you know Liam Neeson movie and his last name is Coxman, I'm like I'm all in. Yep, I, it makes total sense to me. <laughs> I'm not even going to question the metaphor or anything there. So I mean these are these are made for. You could argue, I guess, at some point, prepubescent boys or or adolescent boys in some ways, but I think they're also kind of made for the boys that never. They're kind of like superhero movies before superhero movies in some ways. Yeah. Um, they're not made with that kind of care and that kind of money. They're stepdad. They're stepdad movies. Let's they're, stepdad. They're, they're stepdad movies. Yep. <laughs> These are the kind of movies that Jim watches. Jim's yeah. my stepdad, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, the, when I was growing up, these movies were very important though, because that's what I wasn't allowed to rent them at first. You know, my mom and dad, they tried, they tried <laughs> to like, okay, well you, you can't be renting death wish too. And if you've ever seen Death Wish 2, you'd know why they didn't want me to Hey, Sammy, you and I are going to watch Cold Pursuit. Then maybe you'll accept me as your stepfather. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then I would go next door and I would watch stuff like, uh, you know, like uh, Patton. And and, and that, that's not the kind, this kind of movie. But my, I had this, you know, this other kind of not a, not a father figure. I guess he kind of was a father figure. I mean, he's my best friend's dad. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when he was home, he'd rent these movies and uh, he'd leave them laying around because he'd stay up all night, sleep all day. So we go over there. He'd have the player he rented, and we got to watch all those movies he rented. And he'd rent all this kind of great stuff that we didn't even know existed. And uh, this genre has always meant a ton to me. And, and to me, this movie falls in that genre just because David Mamet directed. And I think Mamet's trying to go for that. I think it's really what he's trying to do here. I think he's trying to make a Charles Bronson movie. And I think he did a better job of making one of these tough guy films with Red Belt. Yes. The next one he would do. I think this was just kind of a precursor. And Mamet's always kind of seemed like the kind of guy who kind of dabbles 
until he gets it right. He yeah. just happens to be lucky enough that he gets to dabble in public and gets to, well, I guess dabbling in public is okay. You gotta be careful who you do it in front of. <laughs> That's right. But he gets to make movies, right? He gets to, you know, kind of work out his, kind of what he's doing and in the public forum. And that's that's great for him, but it's also kind of great for us too because we can kind of see the development of him as a filmmaker. And I think with Heist and with uh, Red Belt, which I, I guess are the two films he did after this, I don't know if he did. He might have did Heist before. Heist was before. Heist was two thousand one, okay. I think. Yeah, which is a really good you know Heist film. Uh, he's just making tough guy movies, uh, and he's always kind of like I said, he's always had this kind of macho, kind of machismo, testosterone filled dialogue, and his movies are a lot about men. Um and men being men and men reacting to men and women are not very important, uh, in his stories. Um, so I think these movies are made for people that grew up on those kind of films. Um, it's funny you say that it does feel like a higher pedigree of a Canon film from the eighties. Yeah, it totally does. I mean, yeah. it, it really does. I mean, I, and again, like what I said in the beginning, it's I've a $25 million canon film is yeah. what it is. <laughs> I've, come, I've come to appreciate these movies that are just made for that kind of audience. Uh, it's it's essentially, uh, Troy, we just kind of talked about this a little bit, like like a Chow Yun Fat American, American yeah. Chow Yun Fat film. It is. Right? Like Replacement Killers is a Charles Bronson film. <clears throat> it's it's a Charles, I don't know if Charles Bronson fired that many bullets in his whole career. Uh, that movie has more gunfire than any movie I can think of off the top of my head. But <laughs> but uh, it's funny it, you say all, that. Those movies are that way. Yeah, between The Replacement Killers and The Corrupter, because we talked about The Corrupter, you know, on this one. But take those two films. They're great. I, I like them because Chad and Fat's in them, and I think they're good action films. But if you put Charles Bronson in them, they work. But But that's the key to it, right? They're pretty pedestrian films, but it really comes down to your male lead, are they cool enough? Um, do they have that uh, machismo, right? Um, and is there is there a charm or a quality to quality to him that you will go, yeah, I, w- I want to watch this guy like shoot all these people? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, that's really all. Is it is. With this one, the problem with this one is they spent twenty three million dollars making a genre film for a very specific group of people. Yeah, and they never gonna that is never well, gonna work really. The other problem is is it doesn't go far enough. That's true. Yeah. Like, it's it's it almost feels like ma'am it's like look i want to make a movie in this world i want to play with these toys but charles bronson movies are kind of gross i don't want to go that far yeah <laughs> you know what i mean i mean that, that's what it feels like it's like well look i'm i'm not making a charles bronson movie even though i'm making a charles bronson movie um that's what it feels like to me it feels like i i don't want you to think it's it's like when a big name director makes a horror film and they call it a thriller and then you're like well you know, Silence of the Lambs is is a horror film, and Jonathan Demi would be like, "Yeah, it's a horror film, but it's kind of a psychological thriller too." Like, well, no, it's both. <laughs> you know, but you got to say what you got to say, or you're not going to get the Oscar. Go back to the Oscar conversation we had. So, but I think those are the important things about this kind of genre. It's a unique genre uh, of filmmaking. Some would argue it's you know boys making movies for boys. Yeah, I get it. it to me, this film, even though it's made in 2004. It. This sounds weird. I totally understand why it bombed. I, I really do. And I, I think your comment's right on, Sammy. It doesn't commit enough to one thing in order to make it commercial or marketable. Uh, and then from a conspiracy perspective, it's not so crazy or so shocking that people are going to come out of the theater and go, oh, my God, Brad, uh, Sammy, did you see this film? Like, I'm not going to tell you about it, but you got to go see it because it totally blew my mind, right? I didn't see this coming. You're, you're not going to walk out of this film and say that. 
it, it, but I think you both have said it. It's that B tier. It's a really good B tier. I feel like it's almost, let's say, eight years too late. I, yeah. I almost feel like this would be a good pairing with that Clint Eastwood film, Absolute Power, that came out in like late 90s. This, to me, feels like a late 90s standard, very well-made um, thriller, action thriller, light on action, but it belongs in the 90s and not in the 2000s. Like it was not, it was not going to come out and do the kind of business they were hoping on a $20 million budget because it didn't, it doesn't have enough of what you need for a mainstream film, I think, but put Mm -hmm. it in the late nineties and I think it would have done okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Give me this and like executive decision back to back on a Saturday. Exactly. I I think, I think there's something about the eighties and nineties, like this type of film like Spartan in the late nineties, I think actually would have been uh, more talked about, especially within our circle. I I don't know of a lot of people who talk about this film. I mean, quite honestly, we probably would have never picked it had somebody not sent an email in and was like, Oh, you should talk about this one. It's a mammoth film has Val Kilmer. It's like, Oh my gosh, you're right. That there's some interesting people attached to this and it gives us the chance to talk about Val Kilmer but I, I don't know. I, I feel like this one is definitely lost in the shuffle. And I'll be yeah. honest, if it comes down to heist, this one in Red Belt, I'll watch Red Belt all day. Um, but then I would probably watch heist over this one. And then I'd watch Spartan. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Uh, yeah, of those three, I think it is the weakest of the three. But I think that this is, you know, it's just it's good, simple matinee fare. It is. Uh, yeah. It's like one of those kind of movies you come across you're at somebody's house and people are talking and you're not interested and you come across it on TV and you're like, yeah, I'm just going to disappear into this world with Val Kilmer and David Mamet for a little while. <laughs> it's a great afternoon TV film. Before. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's the Val Kilmer. It's the Mamet dialogue that set it apart from the typical stuff. So, and I, I would a hundred percent say if you hadn't seen it, you should probably check it out, especially if you like this type of movie, it's good. It really is good. Uh, but, and if you like it, I would, I would be like, well, have you seen heist? Have you seen red belt? You've got to go check those two out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hate the MacGuffin in this movie, just to be honest with you, <laughs> I, that stupid sign that they write on the windows. <laughs> I, I think that's one of the, my least favorite tropes in movies is like when they miss something and they have to go back to the scene and they're like, Oh, it was right here in front of us the whole time. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. But I did like, I did like the, the twist to that where, he goes, wait a minute. I, th- I thought we were closer uh, or no, I thought we were farther away, but this is really close. And what's throwing him off was the sign wasn't on the window of the house. It was on the shed. Mm-hmm. And because of him looking through the optics, that's what was messing him up. Yeah. So and that boat, that boat, that sniper rifle, that boat would be so much more rocky. That sniper rifle was very very steady the whole time you're like no yeah. you gotta that boat's rocking in that in because this is outside boston so yeah it's yeah. one of those films i think the more you think about it the more yeah. you can tear it apart but sure. I, I take it at face value and i think it's a fun ride yeah it's definitely a fun ride um it yeah you're you're right like i don't know if if this is like a game of jenga and you start pulling away a lot of the pieces it's going to fall over but you know it, it is what it is yeah there. Yeah, I think it's a it's a really good action movie from a guy who doesn't make action movies. Yeah, well, th- I think there's little elements in it that elevate. So one thing that surprised me. So there there were two scenes, and this is why I think it's different enough that people should check it out. It's when he captures her right, and they're 
about ready to go into the container. And so she wakes up and she's ready to scream. And in order to shut her up, he just gut punches her and just takes the wind out of her. And I love that element. It's not his, his job is to get her, you know, overseas, get her back home. And Mm -hmm. so smacking around or just getting her to shut up that he takes the, the, I don't know, the path of least resistance, instead of calming her down and stuff, she's like, Oh, I'm just going to take the wind out of you. And now you're not going to scream. And then it's calmed down. And then there's that other sequence in the hangar when William H. Macy is like, Hey, look, he's gone rogue. He's out here to kill you. Da da da. You're not supposed to go with him. Come, I'm going to take you home. And he turns to her and he goes, even if that were true, you're staying with me. Yeah. And there's, there's that little mammoth dialogue in those scenarios that uh, I think elevate this through just the traditional action film. Yeah. It's almost like an exercise in the genre for him. Yeah. Like, yeah. like he's seen these action movies and he's like, why does nobody ever say this? <laughs> well, I, I read, he did a lot of research too. So like that hitting, hitting Kristen in the stomach, I think he picked that up from somebody when he's like, well, what would happen if she woke up and how would you react? He'd be like, well, I'd, I'd break her rib or I would do this. The, the point is to get her across uh, or to get her home. She just has to be alive. And so I'm right. like, well, that that's pretty interesting. So he obviously did his research because that research is, is through and through the film. And again, I think that's what makes it unique and makes it interesting. I, I just wish that second half was as strong as the first half. Hmm. Well, what else? Any other notes? I don't really, I mean, I don't really have anything else. I still think the film's well shot. I think it's very cinematic. I think the way he moves the camera and the way he sets up shot, because it's, a, you know, there's a lot of it's kind of shot in, you know, rooms and things like that. I think he does a good job of getting coverage with those uh, setups and things. And uh, I like all that stuff. I, I hate to admit it, but uh, I like all that operation stuff. That's what I kind of do for a living. So <laughs> I, I like all that, you know, okay, somebody give me this, somebody give me that. I need this, I need this, you know, stat, I need this. And, you know, I like all that stuff. So I kind of like that everybody's got a job and everything's in its place. You know what I mean? So it's your comfort food. Yeah, it is. It's, it's you know, I've, you know, a crisis situation, you know, I, I have people that I rely on to give me information as quickly as possible. So, uh, it's just, uh, I, I like that stuff. And I, I, I think that's why it works for me, but I do agree with you and what we kind of talked about. I do think now that I've kind of had a moment to think about it, the back end of the film does feel like it does feel like a, a movie of two different characters. Yeah. Two different Scots. So it does. And, and, and I know, I know the point in the film where it's supposed to turn. I, I think Val Kilmer does a fan. You had made a comment. You wish there was another scene of talking or something. I feel like that's what's missing in the back half. There's, there's something there that is a dialogue or exchange or something that makes me buy into Scott's choices in the back half. Mm-hmm. There's just something well, missing. We've seen that go wrong though. Like, you know, all of a sudden, like we learn, oh, he's got a daughter and like something happened to her. So like the president's daughter is like, you know, this sort of syndicate, like not syndicate, but this, you know, replacement for his daughter. And that's blah, blah, blah. And then it just gets like super cheesy. So they miss on that more so than they get that right. So I'm kind of glad it's not in there because I don't need I don't need why or anything like that. Because that's a good point. It'd just be some shitty reason that, you know. His wife for, and daughter were killed. They yeah, were in the sex trade. <laughs> I think for me, I think it would have been okay for him to have just like maybe, I think maybe one or two scenes with a, a mentor, 
somebody that he kind of falls back on when, when, you know, shit gets deep. That would have been enough to kind of sell the character a little bit more for me. Or something he falls into. I mean, the whole title comes from the uh, when Leonidas sends one soldier to a, a neighboring city that needed help. That's the whole Spart. That's where Spartan comes from, right? Spartan is also kind of a term for uniform, right? Like, or not uniform, but like bare bones or something like that. Yeah, but I, I know there's that speech that they talk about Leonidas and everything, and I think that's where they derive this um this title from and i and i like that speech but it it feels like it's still it's still a little empty there's something missing yeah uh, i'm looking up definition of spartan this says what is that the the name of the knife well there's a knife that is in this film that was created for this film that they now call the spartan knife oh okay Okay. yeah well there is a definition for spartan as a person of great courage and self-discipline there you go that's val Marked by simplicity, frugality, and avoidance of luxury and comfort. So that's the definition I was thinking of. Okay. Yeah. It makes sense. It makes total sense. Yeah. yeah. So thank that, you, Miriam. That, yeah. Thank you, Miriam. Appreciate that. <laughs> we learned stuff. Web, that's actually the website I was on. <laughs> How did you know? Well, uh, are you ready for the question? We're going to verdict this sucker? Sure. All right, Brad. Is, uh, is my pick. I picked it. You watched it. First time watch for you. <laughs> Is yeah. uh, Spartan a bomb? Uh, I would say Spartan is not a bomb. Um, and I'm actually kind of curious to go back and watch this one. I won't do it anytime soon, but I will definitely revisit this again at some point in time. And 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 I bet I like it a little bit more the second time. So, um, you know, I think that's a good merit of a movie. It's like, does it get better with, with repeat viewings? And are, are, will your, are you willing to watch it again in some period of time and look forward to it and say, it'll be better the second time I watch it. And I think this uh, is clearly going to do that for me. So not a bomb. Awesome. All right, Sammy, how about you? Yeah, I'm going to go not a bomb as well. I mean, I understand why I did bomb, um, but I, I don't think it's a bomb. I think it's a better movie. I just think it's, you know, that competition we talked about in the beginning. I mean, that's not massive competition. It was up against uh, Cody Banks though, man, that was a juggernaut. <laughs> yeah. It didn't stand but, uh, <laughs> against Cody. Yeah. But I mean, I, Sometimes you have to wonder 2004 when when do when does superhero films really start hitting the pavements 2005 or 808 yeah well we got blade by now with blade yeah. what, 2005 2006 <clears throat> uh so anyway you start to wonder when do we stop when do we really stop making movies for and again this is a broad statement i don't mean it as an insult but the, you know, kind of grownups in a way, because to me, this is a movie for grownups. It's like a movie where, you know, it's a movie for men. Uh, as I know that's not a popular thing to say nowadays, but I'm no, I don't mean it in a derogatory way. I mean it in the way of a Charles Bronson or well, it's, a mas- it's masculine. Yeah. It's, it's a movie for guys, you know, and, 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 uh, and, that's, and I think that's perfectly fair. I mean, you have, you know, romantic comedies, you, you have the Hallmark channel films. I, I think if they're whatever the equivalent of the Hallmark channel is for guy movies, that this would fit nicely on there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that probably hurt it more than anything. The fact that it is a limited audience. I think you were right when you said that this is ahead of its time in a way. I mean, if this comes out eight years later, or if this has Liam Neeson in it, is this a bigger hit? You know, I mean, or does it come out eight years earlier? Is it a bigger hit? Or if it comes out eight years later, is it a bigger hit? You know, I think it's, 
yeah, it's no man's in that land. window that it, yeah. it just wasn't going to succeed. Yeah. May have been ahead of its time. May have been behind the time. <laughs> it may just be just a weird experiment that David yeah. Mamet pulled off. Right. Yeah. But I remember thinking the same thing about red belt. I remember thinking, wow, they don't make movies like this anymore. Uh, these, you know, kind of quiet, tough guy movies. They don't really make these anymore. And uh, this has still got that same feel in a lot of ways. Maybe that should be the takeaway for this episode is just go watch Red Belt. <laughs> it's good. Well, I, I mean, it is. I, I mean, all three of those films that that, that yeah, trilogy, all three good. That heist Red Belt and uh, this film. I mean, you're going to be entertained on all three. I agree. hundred percent. Yeah, I, I this one's not a bomb. It reminds me how good Val Kilmer is in general. Um, I know it's a David Mamet film, et cetera, but I, I really think if if I know on your show, Sammy, you have this segment where you kind of well, what's the most valuable thing if I were to pick something out of it, I, I really do think it's Val Kilmer. I love Mammoth's dialogue. I, I love the scenarios, but Val Kilmer really sells it for the most part. I think it falters in the back, but he's he's just a joy to watch. And it makes me want to go back and watch something like Thunderheart again, because I think he was really good in that. Um, yeah. Or, or even movie. Kiss Kiss. Yeah, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. But uh, I, I feel like this type of film, you know, Korea right now is, is kind of what I pay a lot of attention to in terms of action cinema. And I think Korea would make this type of film today. Yeah. I know they do a lot of serial killers and, you know, Don Lee films and stuff like that, but I, I feel like a good, oh, good, man, this would be, this would be an amazing Don Lee movie. Ooh. Oh my God. Yes. Now that I'm thinking about it, they should remake this now with yeah. Don Lee. That would be there's fantastic. A, there's a good example. I can't believe he hasn't come up until now, but there's a good example of what we're talking about. These, you know, 50-year-old leading men, not necessarily these sculpted gods, but Don Lee has got so much character and charisma and personality, and you can build very simple movies around him. Yeah. And they're amazing because you're just building this film around this charismatic lead. I cannot tell you like the movie I am most excited about this year is the outlaws Two. I, it, if there was an opportunity where it's like, look, Troy for 20 grand, you could go see the premiere of outlaw two, uh, in Korea. I, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to, which kid am I going to sell? Um, cause we're, we're going, <laughs> just don't sell them to the, the trade that they sell them to. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I would sell them to a good place. Um, but no, I that, that's the movie. I'll sell them to a good place. Yeah, you're only selling you're only selling a child, so it's no big deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, Don Lee's The Outlaws too. I'm not. How many that. kidneys you got, Troy? Uh, two. So I only okay. need one, you got, right? You got, you got one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I wouldn't sell my kids. Love my kids. Um, no, I just I, I I would love to see Don Lee redo this film. Although the only thing I worry about is Don Lee's strength is having a little bit of that charisma come through. And I feel like this character, I don't know. I couldn't, I can see a Liam Neeson. I could almost see a Clint Eastwood in this. I don't know if I can see Don Lee, but I would love for Don Lee to do a film like this. Yeah. Well, I think it has to be somebody like Don Lee though, because, you know, Nicholas Cage has been trying this genre over and over again for the last 10, 15 years. Yeah, that's true. And only occasionally does he do it well. He doesn't do it very well, very often. So, and that's an actor who take him or leave him. You can't deny that he doesn't have charisma. Yep. And, um, it's a weird charisma, but it's a charisma. It's, it's a weird charisma, but there's nobody else like him. Right. Yeah, so yeah. it is a thing. It is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, Sammy, you are doing a fun show this week. You want to 
You want to give folks a preview of what's coming up on the next episode of Gentleman's Guide? Well, the next one they'll hear, if they're listening to this, the one you should be listening to is the Rancho Deluxe one. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then the week after that, we're going to have a couple guests on from a show called Not a Bomb Podcast. Oh, wow. You guys ever heard of the show? Uh, No, it sucks. Yeah, I heard it sucks, but (laughs) hey. (laughs) God, I hope not. I've been on there a lot. Uh, (laughs) No, I heard the the guests they bring on are fantastic. The strength of the show is the guests. It's not the main host. They're terrible. So we, uh, for the longest time, been wanting to bring people back on the show. I had talked to you guys about doing this before Will and I got back together doing it and stuff. And and one of the things we always loved about doing the show was bringing guests on. It's it's part of the fun. Yeah. It's great when it's just Will and I sometimes, but it's always great, too, to just get people talking movies, right? So we uh, wanted to bring you guys. Oh, well, definitely I did. And uh, we're going to talk about a little. We're actually going to do two episodes. I don't know if we're going to do them back to back. I think we're going to do them back to back. But since the new format of the show is one film instead of two right now, because uh, we like to talk. Yes. Um, we're going to be talking about Enter the Ninja. Oh, my so, God. <laughs> yeah. So this is a special one. And, of course, uh, I had to bring folks I know who appreciate ninjas as yeah. much as Will and I appreciate ninjas. So we're talking about my childhood. We are. Yeah. We are talking about my childhood. I'm I'm so excited. Yeah, some people's childhoods are filled with. Uh, Peach Dragon and uh, Snow White and Dwarves and everything. Ours were filled with beheadings and uh, Susan George and silk robes. And Ninja. <laughs> in, t- in terrible dubs, but, you know, we'll get it. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. Nero's uh, dubbed in that. And also, I, I, you'll hear my Christopher George impersonation with the... Uh, he's got my favorite... He, Ninja. He's got my favorite <laughs> Ninja. <laughs> hey, Ninja. Uh, Mr. Parker, man. Uh, can't wait for that episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. So yeah, it will be, it'll be great to have you guys on and that'll be fun. So when people are listening to this, it'll be the week after that. So, yeah, well, honestly, I'm a little intimidated because of all the podcasts that are out there. And I've I've said this time and time again, I mean, gentleman's guide is, is really the pantheon of podcasts, uh, in my opinion for, for movie podcasts. So you guys have pretty much cornered the market on the formula of not just picking great movies to talk about, but the way you do it in the format and, uh, you know, just the things I mentioned already where you pick your, your ratings, the most valuable thing, et cetera. I think a lot of people have copied you after that and try to do it, but they won't ever be able to replicate it to the level that you guys have done it. So it's, it's the podcast that I still listen to, um, after all these years, I've been a long listener. So, I'm excited to to talk with you guys on that show, but I'm I'm going to be honest with you. I'm I'm very nervous too because it's don't need to be. It's the gentleman's guy. Don't need to be. Yeah, well, I mean, it might seem the whatever on that. I can't sit here and talk about that, but I'll tell you that it's just a hangout show. Oh yeah, just a couple of guys talking movies. You guys will fit in just fine. I promise. It'll it was funny. Troy shared that picture of I guess it was a horror hound, probably probably twelve years ago. And it was oh, that like, was oh, Sammy yeah. shared that picture. Yeah, yeah, Sammy did. Yeah. yeah, and it was like. Here we are all in a room 12 years yeah. ago. So for those who don't know, uh, this is kind of a fun kind of behind the scenes story. Troy and I got to know each other through my show. Yes. And uh, we we didn't meet on the first Horror Hound Troy went to. We were supposed to be there, Will and I, but we didn't get there. And Troy met Randy, I think, at that one. And the NOTLP cast. Yeah. And he shot some video and sent it to me of this gentleman named Troy, who was a big fan. Of our show, which I think I had talked to Troy via either 
email. I had or sent some emails in because I, I had written to your guys' show a couple of times because yeah. I I was I was a fanboy. Yep. Yeah. And we were friends on like the PlayStation Network and yes. things like that. So we knew each other, but we didn't had never met each other. So that was Columbus. That that I believe that that yep. picture I sent and 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 Brandy's like, I'm gonna find Troy, I'm gonna bring Troy to this room and you guys are gonna talk. We talked all weekend. <laughs> yeah. And we did. We sat right there and talked about movies for a good two hours. It was a crazy room. It was an itty bitty hotel room with about a hundred people in it. I remember, but ugh, it, it was hot. <laughs> and I remember specifically, you know, you're one talking of those about, people was Charlie, I believe. So, you know, that was, Oh yeah, know. there you go. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Charlie was there. Charlie oh. was there. We had the, yeah. the original crew were there, but she takes but, up about two people in any hotel room he's in. Yes. But Sammy, I, re- I remember this specifically. We, we had talked, uh, there were two things I remember about that weekend. The first one, which was movie related, that was the weekend where, where you ruined Commando for me. So Correct. you yes. you said, hey, <laughs> next time you watch Commando, the, the last part of it, when uh, you know they're going to fight in, in the basement, just close your eyes. And you go, no, 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 wait. I've actually got it on YouTube or something. And so you played that last <laughs> sequence. And you go, just close your eyes. And that's all you told me. And it's totally ruined that film for me now. Because without context and only does just the audio like cues. Does it two men having sex? Oh, boy, oh does God. it. Very rough sex. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. I was trying to think of the line. I was like, wait a minute. No. I think it, Listen. Yeah. Now, you. some yeah. of you are going to go, I'm going to go watch that and close my Don't do it. I yeah. can't. I, I enjoy the hell out of Commando up until that yeah. last part. And even eyes open. I'm like, damn you, Sammy. Yeah. My favorite line is, feels good, doesn't it, John? <laughs> yeah. Feels good. I don't need a girl, John. <laughs> yeah, I don't need the girl, John. <laughs> it's terrible. Nice. Uh, and then the other part was after we got done talking with films, you and I started talking about our childhood. Yes. And it was scary because I would share a piece of information. You'd be like, oh, my God, it, at same age, I did this. And I'm like, well, did yeah. you do this? And and what was weird is we're we're pretty much the same age. And I feel like we've lived the same life. We've we've hit the same beats and everything, which was uh, kind of cool to to find yeah, somebody it's like crazy. That. And we weren't that far away from each other the whole time. It's, it's it's one of those weird things. It's just it's some of the things that have happened doing this show. Is I've met people, and people have become really close to me, and uh, and I've become really close with them. And it's the thing I cherish the most. Yeah, I agree. And Brad, we've got a couple of special episodes coming up. We're we're going into a territory. Now, this was your idea. I want to it point that out. Idea. It was your idea, so, and I never, ever would have thought you would do this. So one day I was watching something, and I don't know what happened, but Amazon Prime was like, hey, you might like this. Mm. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll watch the trailer. And the trailer was literally the craziest thing I had ever seen. Like. The editing choices, the action, the special effects. Uh, it is a Bollywood film, Troy. We're going to do two Bollywood films. Nice. Um, I am picking uh, 2019s. Now, help me with the name again. Soha? Saho. 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 Yes, Saho. It is, uh, it's an Indian action thriller film. Um, and if you want to, it is on Amazon Prime. I promise you, you have never seen anything like it before. <laughs> Uh, and look, Troy and I have done a great job curating episodes. Our listenership has gone up. We understand Bollywood might not be for everybody, yeah. but just listen to us talk about it. Cause this, I promise you, 
You have never seen anything like, I hate musicals. And Troy tried to argue with me for like an hour on Cats that I really liked musicals. But look, <laughs> look, just hang around for our two Bollywood film episodes. You'll be all right. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and share my pick, too. So you picked. Um, now, I had not seen the one that you picked, which I'm super excited about. Now, between us, uh, I love Bollywood or, or uh, Tollywood is is the other one. So Southeast a- a- uh, India gets um, it's a, it's a different film studio. We'll, we'll get into this next week. But yeah. you picked one and it surprised the crap out of me because I've been watching um, Bollywood or, or films from India for a while and I love them. As a matter of fact, today. We're recording a little bit later than usual because a big, um, we'll say, Tollywood film came out this weekend. It debuted on March 25th, and it is um, RRR. And uh, I, I had been excited to see it. It's it's three hours, and and the cool thing about living in the Baltimore area is these type of films play in the theater. So Cameron and I, because uh, he's the only one who will watch these with me, the rest of my family was like, no way we went and saw this and we absolutely fell in love with it. Like I, I can't wait to watch it again, but for you to pick this one, I was super excited. So I tried to pick something else that, you know, this type of film genre, they're, they're usually very long. They come with an intermission and they throw everything in the kitchen sink, including huge musical numbers. So Brad, I tried to pick one that I think you're going to like. Um, and it's, it's maybe music light. It's still in there, but the, the original name, and I believe this is on Netflix, it's Marco Dard Nahinhota. So <laughs> that's the title. It came out in 2018. You will also find it as The Man Who Could Feel No Pain. It is fantastic. So those are the two that we're going to do. Brad picked one. I picked another one. And I actually think we're going to get a few people who may not have listened to us before uh, listen to the show because surprisingly... I'm amazed at how many people love Bollywood films like they, they watch them. And, and I don't know if there's a stigma about saying you like Bollywood, but I I'm shocked constantly how many people go, Oh yeah, I, I watch Bollywood. And there are tons of them on Netflix and Amazon prime. Yeah. To, to be fair, I have never watched a Bollywood film all the way through. Oh, you're, so, you're in for a yeah. treat, dude. We're, we're yeah. going to make a good list. So I, what, what's your take on it, Sammy? And what, what do you think about that particular film industry or that genre? Well, I don't, I haven't seen either one of those films, so I can't comment on those films, but uh, I do enjoy the, uh, the, the films. Typically I haven't seen enough where I feel like I could weigh in very heavily on, on the, the films themselves, but I've never seen one that I've hated. So that's saying something. Because I've seen Turkish films I've hated. I've seen uh, Indonesian <laughs> films I've hated. So it's fun when you go into other cultures. It's always yes. fun. Uh, Bollywood is a very interesting place. But, uh, or India, Southeast Asia, that's a very interesting world cinematically. But that's one of the great things about being a movie lover is there's a lot of stuff out there you just don't. I mean, I knew a thing or two about Indonesian film before I was doing a podcast. But, man, I didn't know as much as I know now. Yeah, and it's I'm in no way, shape or form an expert. As a matter of fact, I get so many great Bollywood recommendations that I've got a pretty long list and they're kind of hard to find on physical copy. Um, some of the newer stuff, but they're easy to find streaming, which is kind of weird. Yeah. But, um, both of these are action films that we're talking about. They're primarily action films. So yeah. there is a lot of slow motion face kicking. Um, <laughs> and I'm, yeah, they are known for their wacky action. 
and uh, editing. Physics game. just don't matter, and that's no. what I love about it. No. It makes wuxia stuff look like uh, <laughs> grounded in reality. <laughs> yeah, it is, and, and hey, some of the some of the stuff they're making, like the one we saw today. They they borrow heavily from some 80s and 90s Hong Kong action, and it's fantastic. So, yeah. well, Brad, if somebody wants to send a suggestion, I mean, we talked about Spartan. That was somebody who sent an email in. Mm -hmm. If somebody wants to give us their take on this was film. Lee, was that Leroy, maybe? Was it Leroy? Maybe. I okay. Uh, but if somebody wants well, to send in a movie for us to talk about or they want to share their thoughts on Spartan, how do they get hold of us? Yeah, that's not about pod at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, what else? Uh, we'll go check we'll out the on, gentleman's guide to midnight yeah. cinema. Yeah. Especially the enter the ninja episode. Yeah. For your listeners who may not have ever listened to any of our stuff, they'll, you know, maybe they'll check it out now. So. Oh, it's gonna be fun, man. Well, listen, this has been a blast. Sammy, thank you again. I, I, I know you've got such a busy schedule and I, I can't say this enough. Thank you so much for taking time out of the busy schedule. Cause you've got your other show to run. And I know um, you put a lot of time and effort into that, but just to spend a couple hours and talk films with us, we're, we're super grateful. Thank you so much. Oh, no problem. I love it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or the evening. I hope you're having an awesome day. Come back next week. We're going to talk about some crazy Bollywood action. Play along with us. Trust me, folks. You're going to have a blast. Just make sure you pack a lunch. Uh, get your bathroom breaks out of the out of the way. Don't worry. Most of these have an intermission too, so if you got to take a break in the middle, you'll be great. Um, but they're they're long suckers. But I'm telling you, it's worth it. Just dip your toes into it for a couple of weeks. I, I don't think it'll be disappointing. So we'll catch you next week. Cause she's a whore. Hey, Kiki. <laughs> oh my God. John, how's your arm, John? Come over and find out. No, thanks. I think I'll take a pass. John, stick your head out. One shot, right between the eyes. I'll make it quick, just for old time's sake. Bennett, stop screwing around and let the girl go. It's me that you want. <laughs> I have only one arm. You can beat me. Come on, Bennett. Oh, wait, that chicken shit gun. I just want to pull a trigger. To put a knife in me. And look me in the eye. And see what's going on in there when you turn it. That's what you want to do, right? I kill you, John. Come on, let the girl go. It's between you and me. Don't deprive yourself of some pleasure. Come on, Bennett.